how do you price an ad on your channel? That's probably the most common question we get from other creators. And it was the biggest question we had when we first started on YouTube. So we're hosting a live workshop on how to price yourself. This is everything that we've learned in the past 13 years of being on YouTube and our simple three-step process that'll help you develop concrete pricing. So if you wanna join us for this live session, just go to colinandsamir.com slash live. Enter your email and you'll get all the information about our live event on May 9th. All right, hope you enjoy this episode of The Colin and Samir Show. Hey, podcast listeners, it's Samir. Today on the podcast, we're publishing our full interview with Mr. Beast manager, Reed Duxer. So we actually published a shorter version of this episode on YouTube, and it does have more B-roll and graphics that explain some of the terms that Reed uses. So if you want to watch that version, it's on YouTube. But we found the conversation to be so valuable that we wanted to post the full thing here. So Reed is the CEO and founder of Knight Media, one of the biggest management firms in our industry today. Knight Media manages some of the biggest creators on the platform, including Mr. Beast. And Reed has been managing Mr. Beast for the past five years. He met him really early on in his career. Back in May of 2017, Mr. Beast, or Jimmy Donaldson, crossed 1 million subscribers with a very defined plan of how he was going to get to 10 million by the end of the year. And when he told Reed this, he was kind of doubtful. You're going to hear that story in the episode. But Jimmy had a problem. He needed money to fund those videos. And that's where Reed comes in the picture. As Jimmy's manager, Reed has helped him with video sponsorships. He's helped him pull off crazy video ideas. And he's helped him start massive new businesses like Feastables and Mr. Beast Burger. Now, when you look back at that time when Reed and Jimmy first met, when Jimmy had a million subscribers, it's pretty wild to think that when Reed came in for this interview, Jimmy was just about to hit 100 million subscribers. So Reed has had a front row seat and one of the most unique perspectives in the creator economy to date. In this interview, we talk about some of Jimmy's biggest mistakes in business, as well as untold stories from growing the Mr. Beast channel. We also cover why creators need a manager and what happens when Jimmy decides not to publish a video. There's so much in this conversation that I think you'll get value out of and some really fun stories that you just get to hear from behind the scenes of Mr. Beast. All right, without further ado, this is Reed Duxer on the nearly impossible job of managing Mr. Beast. All right. So Reed, how much money do you make? <laughs> I was like, all right, no money yeah. questions. First question, how much money do you Tell make? Tell us every single creator how much yeah. they make. I'll give, you, I'll give you a range. It's between like zero and I don't even want to say what the higher yeah. is. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say you can't even say the higher end. At least you gave us the low end. Yeah, yeah the, low, the low end is zero. Well, actually the low end's like, we'll say like 50K. Yeah. Right. Cool, cool, cool. Whatever. Okay. To right. infinity. Two, yeah, well, hopefully. We'll see. Yeah. If Jimmy just, yeah, stays on track. <laughs> so your uh your like entrance into this world is really fascinating to me mm -hmm. i think everyone's the way that people got into this is always interesting to me because you know when we got in at in 2011 it was so brand new and people really looked at it like we were being crazy people uh, uploading videos to youtube and the way you got in actually there's some crossover or overlap between us yeah. um because you explored uh, Dude Perfect, or you kind of came across Dude Perfect. Yeah, I did. Pretty early on. It yeah. was like uh, 2014 Dude Perfect. Mm -hmm. I want to say a million and a half subscribers. I was an NFL sports agent, wanted to be the next Jerry Maguire. 
saw the movie 15 times. You know, I, I wanted to represent the biggest players in the NFL. And so I fell into that, not really fell into that world. I had to like break down doors to get into that world. If anyone's like tried to ever work in the sports agency world, those jobs aren't listed on the internet. It's not like you mm -hmm. go on LinkedIn and it's like CA is hiring a sports agent. Mm -hmm. and, and in that time, LinkedIn, like these things didn't exist. And so I just showed up. I like went to their offices. I'd show up with a laminated resume and I would just like hand it to people in the lobby. Uh, ended up getting a job, thankfully, and then found Dude Perfect on YouTube. And up until 2013, I didn't watch any YouTube. What were I you doing on YouTube? Yeah, did you find them just like anyone find like, something on YouTube? I don't even remember why I was on YouTube. I just remember I saw a trick shot video of them with Southwest Airlines. Mm -hmm. It was one of their first branded videos. They were throwing a ball over an airplane made it or no it was actually did you guys remember the airplane video mm -hmm. they dropped yeah, a ball yeah. out of the airplane of i think it was, it was that for gmc, GMC yeah. something like that and i remember seeing it and my first like idea was we need to get one of our clients and so i was working like working a little bit with barry sanders and marcus allen and tim brown it's like we need to get somebody in these videos like our barry sanders is not appealing to young kids like i i think the the demo that's watching these videos is probably around the t eight to ten year olds and so i remember sending them an email uh, dude at dudeperfect.com or something. I found it on the internet and, uh, they responded within 30 seconds, like, Hey, would love to chat. Here's my number. Ended up calling that person. You know, we had about a 30 minute conversation, thought it was incredibly interesting. And I went down the rabbit hole of YouTube for the next like two weeks, watched every single dude, perfect video. I found Tyler Oakley, Jenna marbles. Yeah. Like I just kind of just found all these interesting creators and before I knew it, I was just, I was in it. I was obsessed. And sports was just an afterthought at that point. I was like so focused on this digital world. Interesting. Was there a correlation you were making between athletes and these type of people? Like, uh, like people who were uploading videos to the internet? I, had, I wanted our, because athletes were still not interested in posting on social media. They just wanted, at least the guys that we worked with, they just wanted to play football. And so I was trying to push them in that direction. And I think when I had initially saw Dude Perfect, I, I kind of thought to myself, can one of our athletes post videos on YouTube? Is this another way for them to make money, have a mm -hmm. connection point to their audience? And so that is initially kind of what I thought with that. I soon realized how much work goes into a Dude Perfect video. Right. And the trick shot life is not glamorous. And I started to realize yeah. <laughs> like, okay, if, if Odell Beckham's going to start a YouTube channel, this is going to be very daunting and it's going to take a lot of work. And that, so that, that was the first thought process. But then secondly, I was like, I need to figure out how I can work with these guys. Cause this is much more interesting to me than trying to find the next like first round draft pick. Yeah. What was that process like of basically substituting in creators where athletes were in your life? Like you are a sports agent working yeah. with athletes. How do you transition <laughs> to just straight up working with creators? Uh, the hardest part was honestly going to the advertisers and trying to convince them that instead of spending all this money on X athlete, they should sponsor a dude perfect video. And I basically got laughed out of every room. People didn't understand it. This was, this was early 2014. Like you guys were at the whistle, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So you were in the same ball game as me yeah, where you yeah. were like, just bang your head against the wall, trying to figure out how do we get branded content on YouTube, especially in the sports sphere. Mm -hmm. And it was really tough. And I ended up thinking about different areas outside of basketball and football was what they were really focused on at that time. And I ended up meeting the CMO of Callaway golf just through a friend and I pitched him on dude. Perfect. And thankfully he just like saw it. He was like, Oh my gosh, what if we did a golf trick shot video? And that's how that started. And so fast forward four months, we did a trick shot video, with Jamie Sadlowski in San Diego, 
guys hitting a golf ball off an aircraft carrier. Cody's like on a jet ski in the middle of the mm-hmm, marina mm-hmm. with like a net trying to catch this ball. And that's how that all came together. And so I really just tried to think about like, how do they get into other spaces that's not just football and basketball? And golf ended up being that that first one. So when you say we did that golf trick shot video, is that we as in like you as an independent broker of that deal? Exactly. Like I I was kind of like the middleman in between Callaway and Dude Perfect, negotiated the deal, ended up taking it to them. They accepted it. I traveled out. It's like a two-day shoot. It was mm-hmm. brutal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Were you still a sports agent at the time? I was still a sports agent at the time. And the, the agency I was at didn't understand it. They, they were, you know, they're old school sports guys. They, for 10 years, they had recruited college athletes who were going to get drafted to the NFL. And so for them to wrap their heads around, why would we sign a YouTube creator who may or may not make money in the future right. when we already know how to make money? You like sign an athlete, you do their trading card deal, you call Nike, you do their shoe deal. They, they just, they couldn't understand it. And then I was just so obsessed. That's, that's all I focused on. And I eventually was like, I need to start a business. Like I, if they're, if they don't believe in me to do this, I believe in myself enough where I'm just going to leave and go do it. And that was summer of 2015 when this officially like night officially became like a business. Was there, did you see that there was like enough money in the space at that time? Like what was the what was the budget of the Callaway Dude Perfect deal? Like, I was going to say, because the Dude Perfect GMC yeah. deal, I think the guy said it was like 50 grand. 50 grand, yeah. Or something like that. I definitely still have the contract. It was way more than 50 grand. Um, it was in the six figures. I want to say it was like 200 maybe. I, I would have to go Got back it. and look. It so was that's big. real money. Yeah. That's real, real money. money. Yes. Yeah. And it was if, big. For that time too, for someone to spend over a hundred grand on a singular YouTube video was a big deal. That's a big deal. Uh, And and that's like, I was like, Oh my gosh. Okay. So there is money in this. I can, I can see how I can make money in this space, but I wasn't really like, how do I make a business out of this? I was just enjoying it. I like found something that I truly was passionate about. I was really passionate about sports, but I was really struggling with the whole recruiting aspects and like the money under the table and just kind of the backstabbing of it. And it just felt really refreshing to work with, you know, five guys that started this business in a college right. house doing a trick shop video and just turned it into a business. And so I just kind of gravitated towards them and I found them so inspiring. And so I think that was just like the, the impetus that got the, got me started and got me going into night media. And what happens next? Like you, mm-hmm. you go out, you start the company independently. Yep. You, do you have a roster of clients or you? Yep. I brokered a few deals for Dude Perfect, Callaway Golf, uh, Tops Trading Cards, uh, there's a few more in there. So I started brokering deals for them. Uh, and then I met Typical Gamer. Typical Gamer was a Grand Theft Auto YouTube streamer, had transitioned over from Justin TV, which is now Twitch. And he had like 400,000 subs. I, I Also, I'm new to this world. So I, I saw Trickshot videos. Now I'm seeing yeah. that like someone is live streaming a video game. They have 2,000 viewers. I'm like, okay. So now I, now I feel like I'm lost. Like I'm, I'm officially a boomer. I don't understand yeah, why kids yeah, are watching yeah. other kids play video yeah. games. This was again, 2015. Uh, and so I somehow convinced typical gamer to start working with me at this time. And so Andre and I started working together and he officially became like the first client of night media in 2015. And at that time, like the, a lot of the business of gaming was like get signed by machinima. Right? Yeah. Like it was or, a big MCN or, culture at that time. Or everyone was signed with Machinima. Got it. Like everyone that I met was signed with Machinima on a perpetuity deal. Right. Or they, or they maybe were signed with Maker Studios on a five-year yeah. deal. And so there was this battle. And I mean, the whistle is in the similar sure. category, yeah. right? Because mm-hmm. they had Dude Perfect. So 
when I first got started in this career, it was just a, a battle of myself between the MCNs. Because I think uh, some of them may have felt a little threatened, especially like maybe the whistle, because I was kind of yeah, you're edging my way yeah, into yeah, deals. Yeah. And the yeah. whistle was kind of like, who is this guy? Yeah. And how did he steal this Topps trading card deal? And so there was a lot of like conversations on the background, I think, in the whistle of like, what's going on? What was yeah, your... between Colin and I. I'm sorry, guys. Reed needs to get out of here. I was, uh, just, I was just trying to pay I my mean, we rent. I mean, you know? we were working on the creative side. Like we, yeah. we flew out to Dallas to work with Dude Perfect when they would get a deal and like mm -hmm. shoot, we shot an LG video with them because like they would hold the cameras. So yep. we would go help them. We would hold the cameras too and set up a trash can down at the bottom of the stadium. And but we booked the stadium and got lunch. And like, we were just mm -hmm. like production hands to help them make stuff. Yep. Um, but at this time, from what I remember of 2014, 2015 YouTube, it was a lot of creators were making money through AdSense. That was like a lot of mm -hmm. the revenue. Um, and so like the revenue share model of the MCNs was significant. That's like what all the negotiation was. Yeah. And then there was, I would say the top 1% of creators could do brand deals, but that looked like custom content, like mm -hmm. fully custom content. So there wasn't as much of a culture of like a 30 second ad read or a, a you know, a, a didn't minute really that, that didn't exist. Yeah. It was like either you're making money on AdSense or you're doing a fully custom video yeah. with a brand. Well, also people don't realize that you had to sign with an MCN to get ads, right? Like yeah, that, mm, in, that's in, true. The, in the first part of YouTube, the YouTube created the MCN business so a creator could go file for YPP, YouTube Partner Partnership yeah. Program, through an MCN because right. they didn't have a team that could vet YouTube channels at that scale yet. And yeah. so YouTube created the MCN monster, mm. um, which eventually just became about signing as many creators as possible right. and, and building like essentially a label on top of YouTube. But yeah, you had to go to an MCN to get ads. And I think right. once that changed and then you could apply directly for AdSense with YouTube, now creators started to be like, wait, why am I giving 40% of my AdSense to Machinima when I can just sign up directly for AdSense? Or like Studio 71 and all these mm -hmm. other people came in the mix and they were doing 90-10 deals, 100-0 deals. And that's when the door kind of got blown wide open and everyone started asking the question, like, what does an MCN do for me? So I think the 100-0 deals, just to, I, I feel like uh, mm -hmm. we existed in the same world. There's probably a lot of creators who were watching who were like, wait, I just... I'm three years into YouTube. I have no idea what you guys are talking about. Mm -hmm. So just to lay out some terms, the MCN uh, was a multi-channel network, which meant essentially these um, media companies would sign a bunch of YouTube channels and there'd be a revenue share saying, hey, we'll take 20% of your AdSense. You take 80 or we'll take 60, you take 40 and we'll offer you a music library and yep. channel optimization was a big word. Yeah, and mm -hmm. to go a little deeper, it's, it's essentially a CMS is what they call it. Right. So it's a content mm -hmm. management system which means that the MCN can also sell ads against, against all the channels in their network. Yeah. So if you guys are signed to my network, I can now call PepsiCo and I can sell ads against your network. That's right. And an MCN might give you a hundred O deal, but they would be like, but we're 50, 50 on direct ads. That's right. And so I would go sell to, to PepsiCo and I would take 50% of that yes. RPM now. Yeah. And so there's ways that they were making money mm -hmm. on hundred O deals that I don't think creators really understood. So, I, so when most people are signed with MCNs at that time, like what's your competitive advantage? My competitive advantage was, I was like, I'm not an MCN. I'm a manager. I want to be involved in the business. I want to help you think about, you know, innovation and I want you to be an entrepreneur and I want to help you hire. I was, I would try to be much more strategic and much more helpful on an individual level. So even with like typical gamer, you know, he had an MCN, I want to say it was broadband TV, um, but they really didn't do anything. Broadband had 2,000, 3,000 creators, so he never heard from his, his manager, right. or his mm -hmm. rep. 
And so I was able to just kind of fit myself in to be like, we're going to talk every day. We're going to go talk to Ubisoft and EA and like, we're going to start doing deals. And that's how that relationship just got built. And eventually broadband would be like, wait, who's this guy? Like, he's mm -hmm. your manager. When did you sign a manager? And so I just kind of started leveraging myself in the middle of those relationships. And the MCNs just weren't paying attention for the most part. Yeah, and they weren't really equipped to yeah. handle the oh, type yeah. of relationship that you were having with these creators. Not at all. I mean, full screen had 70,000 creators at one yeah. point. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. Didn't Machinima have over 100,000 channels? Yes. I'm sure. Yes. Yeah. I mean, what do you, how do you even know who yeah. you have at some point? Like, I remember like Ezra, our president mm -hmm. at Night Media, Ezra was one of the co founders of Full Screen. He was like, a, you know, we didn't, we knew we had a lot of creators, but we'd have a creator blow up in Full Screen, like popular MMOs. And we wouldn't even know until one day someone would be like, yo, Popular MMOs has 8 million subscribers and he's in our network. And he would be like, oh, we should probably talk to him. Right. Like, yeah. So it's like crazy to think <laughs> yeah. about now, but like yeah. channels would just blow up and they'd have so many that they just wouldn't notice. So the reason I bring up, or even like, I'm curious about if at any point in this journey, you started thinking about creators like athletes, because the thing that I've recognized is during that time, the MCN era, or even right now, there's a lot of companies that kind of use this broad strokes term creators, mm -hmm. but when you start to realize it, it's actually the personalization and the like human interaction that a lot of creators require, you know, like they need someone like you to, to workshop what they're doing because they're an individual and yeah. similar to an athlete who has a trainer, a coach, a nutritionist who's building a program for them individually, even though they're part of this broad strokes term athletes, mm -hmm. Tennis player is going to be different from a you know football player, different from a, a soccer player. It feels to me like uh, probably the reason you were able to be successful is because we as artists and creatives require that one-to-one -one connection. Yeah. Well, and also most creators didn't want to do the business side of it. For sure. Like they, yeah. they wanted to play video games. They wanted to film videos. They were receiving thousands of emails a week and they just weren't looking at it. They weren't answering it. And so originally I was just like, just let me help you just build this business. Like, just let me figure out how to clean this up. Like you have all these emails. Like I, I just tried to figure out where I presented as much value as possible. I didn't even care about commissions at that point. I was mm. just like, I need to figure out how to provide value. So when typical gamer talks to his friends, he's gonna be like, Oh yeah, reads great. Or, Oh yeah, night's great. Right. And so I was like, it doesn't even matter about the money initially. It only matters about like, am I doing a really good job. So there's eventually this word of mouth, which night now has like, right. there's a, there's a word of mouth where people just DM me and send me Twitter messages. And they're just like curious because they hear from other people. That's what I wanted. I wanted to just build word of mouth through just doing really good job for creators. How were you making money at this time through commissions? Uh, I was only making money from dude. Perfect um, through commissions from deals I would broker. And then I eventually worked out a deal with typical gamer where I was like, Hey, I need to start making money here. So we got to figure out like what that looks like. Got it. And is yeah. night media just you at the time? I mean, it was just me until 2018. Wow. Me in a bedroom, Got just it. hustling. It was typical gamer, Preston, Unspeakable, and a few other smaller creators. It was just me in my bedroom in Dallas, Texas. Yeah. When does Jimmy come into the picture? Uh, January of 2018. Oh, I, wow. I remember so it very years. vividly. Yeah, I got a message from a friend named Jobless Garrett, who was also in the Grand Theft Auto community, met him through typical gamer. Uh, he, he basically sent me a Twitter message and he was like, yo, uh, I want you to meet this guy. He makes really interesting content. You worked with dude. Perfect. I think you guys would get along and it turned out to be Jimmy. And so a couple hours later he made a, a Twitter thread with the three of us and he was like, Hey, Jimmy, meet Reed. I'm eventually going to like put out the, what Jimmy said to me. Cause it's pretty funny. Like his <laughs> first message to me is like now looking back on it. So hilarious with what he said. Cause it's like so much him. 
Um, but he sent me that message. And for the next month, we just spoke every few days. Like we just got on the phone. We'd talk for hours on end. I thought he was just the most fascinating person because I would just listen to him talk about YouTube. He showed me this graph at the time that he had made with a friend. And it was essentially like a y-axis and x-axis and he had all, an x-axis and he had all his videos dotted on this graph. And there was a correlation between all the videos based on the, the CTR and the AVD of the video. Mm. And he's like, I did all this research. I've done it for multiple channels. If I can get in like this CTR plus this AVD, videos get over 10 million views. And so in his mind, he was like, that's all I care about is getting this CTR and this AVD on videos. And I know my videos are gonna get over 10 million views. And he was right. It's like, if he would hit those numbers, the videos would do incredibly well. And so I just sat there and listened to him. And I just like absorbed all this knowledge throughout the years. And so he did say he had a million subscribers when I met him. And he was like, I'm going to have 10 million subscribers by the end of the year, which in 2018 was like, okay, 9 million subs in a year. Like this guy's crazy. Uh, But he was like, no, here's here's what I'm going to do. And he kind of laid out the plan of how he was going to grow. And I was like, okay, as crazy as this sounds, I'm willing to help you. And he was like, I need money to fund these videos. And so Honey, thankfully, became our, became our first partner. But he ended up crossing the year at 13 point, I think 13.3 million wow. at the end of 2018. And then I can't even remember what 2019 was, but sure. I think it was like 26 million by the end of the year or something. Like it just went nuts. Wow, that's crazy. I know, yeah. Now looking back on it, I'm like, it feels like it was only a couple of years ago. When did you get the sense in that year that he was going to become like your premier client? I don't even think I still view him as that. Like Got we're it. just, we're so close. I, I, I mean, we're business partners at this point. We've done so much together. We bicker like an old couple. I mean, we've been together, I think four and a half years. Like ever, I, he, it was just him, Chris, an editor and his mother when I met him. Like, he's a very small team. Uh, I think I realized that Jimmy was going to be something special on YouTube when he filmed a video First, first sponsor video with Honey was, uh, you guys probably remember, it was like donating to Ninja. Mm-hmm. Ninja was doing a charity live stream. And I remember him pitching it to Honey. And they were so excited with the idea. And I was kind of like on the fence. Like, all right, is this Twitter donation thing played out? He, he was so particular about that, that edit and how it was edited and how the video intro looked. That's when I knew. I was like, his brain just works differently than any other creator I've met to this point. Got like, it. if he's thinking about what does this 10 second intro look like? And he's obsessing over that. I've never heard a creator obsess over a 10 second intro in my life, but he's like, this is how important this is because this is literally the hook of why people would stay for this 20 minute video. And so that video went on to get, I don't know, 70 million views and honey was elated. It was the, right. uh, and, and we went into honey's office in, uh, in 2019 and they had a graph, they had this TV and it had a graph on it. And it, it basically had all the days of downloads since, since the company started, they had every single day on a bar graph. And there was one that was like way above the others. Mm. And Jimmy pointed at it and he's like, what was this day? And the guy goes, that's when you posted your ninja video. And so I'm sure to, to this day, sure. he still has the number one most downloaded day for honey ever. And that was that ninja video. Wow. So now like four and a half years later of working with him, Obviously, he's changed so much. Your business has changed a lot. Mm-hmm. What do you think it is about your relationship with him that's been able to go the distance, basically? And like, we kind of we met each other when we had really had nothing. I mean, I didn't have a business yet. It was just me. Like, it was still me by myself. Jimmy, it was just him. Really, him, Chris, and his mother. Like, it was before any of us had any success, really, to that point. And so we were able to really grow these things together. And I think that's why it's been so special. 
I think people now coming into Jimmy's life, you always ask that question of why are they here? Yeah. Why, why do they want to know Jimmy? Are they trying to get something from him? We just started out like two hungry kids who were hyper obsessed with YouTube, who were like trying to make something of ourselves. That's how it all started. And I think like that's that, that, that relation point that we have with each other is like we both kind of just started from nowhere in 2018 to now where we are today. Like it just gives us perspective. So it's like a little bit of a shared competitiveness. Yeah, too, I, think, I mean, right? definitely. I mean, yeah. we're very competitive with each other, whether it's like selling hamburgers or chocolate bars or like we still push each other every day. But yeah, I mean, there's something special about meeting someone before they blow up and have yeah. a very successful career. And I was just thankful that we both got to like experience that together. Yeah, for sure. Especially mm -hmm. because this was all so new. Like yeah. you mentioned working as a sports agent and you're like, well, there was a model, right? Like you get the trading card deal, you do like the deal yeah. with the team. Did you feel like there was a, like you could apply that type of model or you're able to figure out that model with Not the creator? Or this it was just so kind of like, wide open. Yeah. Was, yeah. And all the, the interesting thing about athletes that you kind of mentioned there is you're meeting, okay, let's just take Odell Beckham or someone like that. Someone we worked with, right? He's coming out of college as the man. Like he was drafted yeah, mm -hmm. seven overall. It's He's true. been the guy in high school. He's all Gatorade, over ESPN. All American. Yeah. Like you're recruiting guys that already know that they've made it. They're established. Mm -hmm. They're going to have successful careers. I met Jimmy when he was like, I have, I have $5,000. I'm like trying to make videos. <laughs> right. Like I have, I have, I have yeah. this idea. It's, it's so different. And I think that's what was frustrating for me in college is you're recruiting guys that already have this sense of like, I'm successful. Why am I talking to you? kind of thing. Yeah, and it just rubbed me the wrong way. And you don't get that with YouTube creators. They're like these, like most of them are just hungry and entrepreneurial and they have a vision for what they want their content to be. And I just really, I fed off that. And I still, to this day, like you guys met Jimmy, yeah. you guys did an interview with him. You, that, that energy constantly comes off of him. Yeah. And it's, I talk to him every day. Like I talked to him before I got here right. and we were talking about some other thing with his, his charity. I, it's never stopped. It's been four and a half years. He still radiates the same energy from when I met him. Yeah. Does the job get harder for you as time goes on, as his operation explodes, as you bring on more employees, more clients? I don't know if it gets harder. It gets more complicated and it's definitely more stressful. There, there was a level of stress of, hey, Jimmy, we need a sponsor on this video or we don't have any money left. Um, but the stress is completely different now. We're dealing, we're in the public eye. If someone gets a, a bad hamburger, we hear about it on Twitter. Yeah. It's just, there's a different level of stress that comes with it. I think my job has actually gotten more fulfilling as it's went on because now like the, the hard part with it is we can do anything. Like I feel like at this point, Jimmy and I can, we can create a mobile game company. We, we can really do anything. It's just, we have to figure out where we want to focus because there's so many distractions. Yeah. That actually becomes the hard part is there's, there's infinite possibility, where do you focus your energy? And so that's, I think, for him and I, that's become the tough part, is like the amount of distractions that are now in both of our lives is really hard to navigate sometimes. So as Jimmy's manager, someone who's been there since a million subscribers, what does it feel like for him to cross 100 million? subs. Good that's a good question. I should have brought his hundred million diamonds. Oh, um, you have it. I have it. Oh, that's cool. Uh, I've had it for a while. A I've actually had it for like three months. It was a, it was such a, I can't truly appreciate it yet because we haven't hit it, but I was like all alone, received this like package from YouTube in my Austin apartment. And I've like, I've seen the 10 million die. Like we have a lot of creators with 10 million. We've seen a lot of these things. It was a very surreal moment opening this package for this like red box and you open it and it's like, it's much heavier, it's thicker. 
So it's like, I, I had like a little moment with myself of kind of like reflection, like thinking back of like, oh, wow, I've been here since a million subscribers. Like I, this happened so quickly, mm. but it doesn't feel like the journey's even close to over, right? I think, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of this is like enjoying the journey you're on. And so it's like, Jimmy and I probably don't reflect as much as we should on like accomplishments. Like him and I will give each other a high five or a fist bump and be like, we won a kid's choice award or he won a kid's right. choice award, congrats. Uh, haven't really thought about it too much because I think we just have so much more to accomplish. This is like an amazing milestone, but yeah, it's. I mean, how do you wrap your head around a hundred million people? That's what that's I was like, thinking. I was like holding this thing, and I was like, "Will I ever see one of these again? Like a hundred right. million subscribers on a channel? Like this is crazy. I, I don't know. Like, will I ever see it again? I have no idea. Um, but it, it'll be a special moment. I think when he officially hits it, him and I will probably have a special moment over the phone, or hopefully, I'm with him wherever he is in the world, but we have so much more to accomplish. I don't know. This is like, if anything, it fuels us to be like, wow, we, this is one of the goals we had when I met him in 2018 was to hit hundred million subscribers. That goal's hit, but we have so many other yeah, goals yeah, along yeah. the road that we have to get to that we kind of just like reset the focus and we're off. So when I look at um, like your trajectory there, you you know, start working with Jimmy, were you set on the model of Knight being a management company that managed multiple creators? Was there ever a thought of, as Jimmy's operation is growing, I'll just join that and, and operate as like the yeah. president or, you know, something like that? Yeah, good question. Him and I have had this conversation a lot. It was always my goal to start a company that I wanted to run for the rest of my life. And so I, I represented multiple creators before I met Jimmy. Like I think I had six creators before I met Jimmy. It was always the roadmap to diversify into, into multiple creators, eventually launch, you know, whether that was a venture capital fund or wherever that ended up going. That was always the model because the model with Night Media when I first started it was I thought consumer loyalty was shifting from corporation to individual. And if that was going to become true, I wanted to represent the biggest individuals on the internet because mm-hmm. I thought that they created a unique opportunity to create product services and enterprise value in companies. Mm-hmm. And that's now come becoming true. You guys are seeing it with, with a lot of different creators. That was always the goal. Uh, and this is like something I want to do for the rest of my life. I, I didn't start Night Media because I just wanted to like go sell it to somebody. I was mm-hmm. like, I, I want to start something that I'm proud of that I want to run for the next 25 to 30 years. Jimmy's obviously like wanted me to come in and become the president, but I'm, I'm, I'm so fulfilled by the fact that I get to help multiple creators, like doing this podcast, yeah. um, going and like talking with other creators that we manage about their struggles and like Ryan Trey like he, Ryan pitched me that penny idea. I will go on record and say, I thought it was a bad idea mm, at the time. And I was like, I don't think you should do this. Uh, but Why? it's like those conversations because idea? episodic content, as you guys know, doesn't tend to perform well on YouTube. And so when, when someone comes to me and they pitch a 10 to 15 part series, I get really nervous because I'm like, the views are just going to slowly go down mm. because if someone didn't see part one or part two, I'm afraid they're not going to watch part three. And so that ended up not becoming true, yeah. but I've seen it go the opposite way a lot of times. And so that's what made me nervous about that. But it's like those conversations are like what I really enjoy about my job is like, I get to talk to so many different creators and people on a day-to-day basis and I get to help them with different pain points. That was always the goal. Like I just wanted to educate the creator community and push the ball forward of what I think is possible. So in that spirit of, of educating, I do think it'd be really interesting to kind of talk about, we get this question a lot. What's the difference between a manager, an agent, and you know, maybe a president, yep. like someone who's in house, like Yep. As a young creator who's maybe starting to establish a business, what, what, at what stage do they need 
which one or do they yeah did do different people need different okay so you know, i'll pick members. this apart um so I'll, I'll start with the first one what's the difference between the three and i think it's it's so dependent on traditional versus music versus digital mm -hmm. because managers agents like they do different things across different yeah. verticals so if we're just talking specifically in in traditional the agent has has mainly been the person that's sending you on additions. They're auditions. They're negotiating contracts. They're they're really like funneling the business opportunity to the manager to then bring to the client. The agent's doing most of the work. In digital, it's almost the opposite. What what we've kind of found is the manager is kind of the like most important person because they're in the weeds of the business. They understand what the creator needs. They understand if if they need to hire what people they need to hire. At least the good managers they they understand this. The agents have unfortunately kind of got leveraged out of the digital space a little bit because I think the managers have have started to almost do the agent's job. They've started to do the brand partnerships and then they pass the contract to a lawyer. So it's a little different now than it was in traditional. Traditional still works very similar. Most actors, actresses have an agent and a manager. Mm -hmm. What I've kind of noticed in this digital sphere that we live in is most creators just have a manager or most creators just have an agent and they kind of play the same role in this in this yeah. area a little bit. What we're really focused on that agents really struggle with is we like to think about how they, how they innovate. Like what are this, what's your strategy for the business? Like how do you grow your production company? Whereas like on the agent side, it's very transactional. They're very focused on like, how do we just continue to get 10%, mm. right? And if this brand deal doesn't work, like let's quickly go throw it to this person or this person or this person. So we try not to be as transactional as that. And so that to me is like the biggest difference. The president inside a digital company for the most part, these are production companies. And it seems like the president plays that like head of production role or the head of operations role for the most part. They're kind of like helping doing the hiring, they're operationalizing the business, they're hiring production managers and editors and thumbnail artists. At least that's like, when we think about different companies across, even Jimmy's, like yeah. it's, it's mainly like a head of production is that president mm -hmm. person right now. So the Got president it. role doesn't necessarily like threaten the manager role in your I own. mean, we haven't seen that. No, the other like interesting thing and, and WME and CA have done this really well is they've built these companies over decades. So they have this network effect. They know what's going on everywhere. They know mm -hmm. what casting yes. directors <laughs> yeah, are doing yeah. this. They know what yeah. brands are spending. Like they've built this massive network effect. That's really valuable. And so it's like something that night is like finally built is like we have right. that network effect because we're, we have our ears to the ground on everything. It's really hard to replicate that inside of a, just one company. So mm -hmm. say like Jimmy hires someone who's like supposed to do the manager job. It's really hard for them to build that like network effect to know what's going on, yep. know what Netflix is looking for, yeah. know what this brand is spending mm -hmm. on. Like it's just, it's really tough. And so I think it's why we haven't seen that done very well. Um, why most creators still outsource to a manager is for that very reason. That is interesting. That was kind of part of the original benefit to the MCNs that did their job well, is that yeah. like if they brought in a brand deal, they could actually disperse it across different creators. Yeah. Appropriately. Or they just know what brands are spending, right? Mm -hmm. They're like talking, yeah. they're talking to those advertising agencies. They're, they're just in it. They're in those conversations. Uh, unless you're Unless you've come from that world and maybe you get hired to go work for a creator internally, you just don't know. You don't know who does all the spending. You don't know like how this happens, even the cycles of spending, right? Like the planning of, you know, you planning Q1 to spending Q3. Like you, you yeah. just like have mm -hmm. to learn all sure. this and learn all the people. And it's just, it's so hard. Even, even for us, like um, if someone leaves an advertising agency, one person within night will usually get an email, if not two, and they'll log it in our CRM. 
and we're like, oh, this person left to go here. And so right. we're, we're tracking everyone. So we're like, okay, now Sarah's over here. Let's email Sarah yeah, and be yeah, like, yeah. hey, congrats on your new role. Can't wait to work together. So it's like, you almost need to build a whole system. It's internally. really interesting. That is such a massive part of the advertising business. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just like the, the media business is these types of relationships and how they're, I agree. It's like, that is, that I think is as you get to a certain size as a creator, that's impossible. Yeah. Cause we, I mean, we did all of our own deals for, for a very long time. I mean, we're still involved in most of our own deals, but that the scale of knowing what's going on is like impossible as yeah. you have to start focusing mm-hmm. on content. And, it, and it's kind of a waste of your time because you yeah. guys should be focused on how do we make the best videos possible? Yes. Right. And then it almost becomes smart to outsource the other stuff to somebody that can just do the phone calls, mm-hmm. handle the mm-hmm. business ops. Uh, and so when, when is the right time for someone to bring on a manager or an agent? I usually say, when you're sick of doing a lot of the tasks that a manager and agent should be doing, right. that's usually the time that it's, it's right. And a lot of people reach out to me and it's way too early. I think that how they think about it is, I want to make money. I need to sign a manager. That's mm. not the way you think about it. It's like, if you make good content, money will come. I think you just need to really understand, like, what is my manager going to do? Are they, are they going to do something that I don't want to do? Are they going to provide more value to me? Like, if all your deals are flowing into your email... You guys need a manager. You probably negotiate those deals. Right. But if you get to a point where you're like, our content's now pulling 2 million views a video. We think we should make more money. We don't have time to just like pick up the phone and call these like influencer yeah. agencies. That's when it's probably time to like go look for that person to hire internally, which is tough or just hire a manager. I also think though, if you're, if you are flooded with a lot of inbound, what you mentioned, I think is actually one of the biggest challenges for a creator, which is figuring out what to say yes and no to. Um, cause if you actually are getting that type of, you yeah. know, regular substantial inbound, it does get really exciting, really fast and really confusing because you go from being opportunity, being a scarce resource to all of a sudden opportunity being abundant. Mm. And if you still like me personally, it took us so long to get opportunities with this channel that once they became abundant, I was terrified to say no. Because you're like, well, they, I lived in a time where these didn't exist. I still think residually yeah. we have that. We have some and of that say, scarcity mindset. And yeah. you guys also don't want to be the bad guys, right? Right. Like you, don't, you don't want Shopify to be right. like, yeah, like they said, no, we don't want to work with them anymore. Right, right. Like managers are really good at like softly saying it's not the right time. Right. Right. Let's, let's yeah. talk about this in the future. And also the, the one thing you guys don't know is like, what's Shopify paying for everyone else? Yeah, for sure. Uh, what do those yeah. other deals look like? Are they, are they giving paid media rights to, are they taking paid yeah, yeah. media rights from this person or are they not? Like you kind of mm-hmm. have to know like what these deals look like. And that, that again comes back to this network effect of when you do this for years, you start to just collect like, I don't know how many contracts we sure. now have, yeah. but we just know like what terms are standard, what terms are not standard. Most creators are just like, oh, contract in my email, I'll sign that. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden their like face pops up on an ad on right. Instagram and they're like, why is my face on this ad? Yeah. I think that's and, interesting to get into. Like you mentioned like paid media rights. A lot yeah. of people watching may not even know what that is. Like what should a creator look out for? What are some of those things? You mentioned exclusivity, like yeah. outside of just the integration in the video, what else is being sold that people should look out and for? And paid media used to not even be a thing. Yeah. I think when brands started to experiment with say, let's just say putting Jimmy's face on an ad and all of a sudden their ROI for that ad went up significantly. They were like, wow, we're onto something. Now we put creator's face or video as our ad and it converts exponentially higher. That's when this, I started seeing this pop up in contracts. And so you hear like now NIL, name image likeness. So everyone's trying to get name image likeness and then paid media, which essentially means that 
they can run paid ads on other digital platforms. So you could see your ads pop up on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Mm -hmm. And so you need to be very careful because a $20,000 brand deal for you guys to integrate it into your video might all of a sudden turn into a year long paid media campaign where your face is getting shown everywhere, including their website, but then also Mm -hmm. in a paid fashion. And so that's one thing that I just don't think creators understand is like, what does that truly mean? And they also need to look at like, what are the, what's the NIL in the contract? Are they asking for a long term of name, image, and likeness? Because what we think is once contracts up, once you guys do that integration, once it's done and posted on our channel, contract terms over. There's no more NIL. There's no more paid sure. media. It's gone. Mm-hmm. And so you just have to really understand like what that ask is. And we've seen a lot of creators just sign bad deals where they're in a year long paid media deal. I think what's, what sometimes can be confusing for creators is that you know, you're not just the talent. You're also not just the network that's distributing the content. You're also not just the production company, right? So you are all of these different things mm-hmm. when it comes to pricing out, like what does it cost for me to make this or what, sh- what should be taken into consideration? Um, I think that's where I see a lot of creators get confused because it's like, wait, I'm the talent, I'm the production company, I'm also the distribution network. And the producer. And like the, the producer, the, I'm, yeah. I'm all of these things. Um, so like, how does, you know, how does that mm-hmm. work? One question that we actually got uh, on our Reddit yesterday that had to do with management. Um, there's a creator that asked us, you know, they're starting to see some, some deals come in. They want help on it. But they were asking about how managers get paid um, when it comes to either a manager taking, you know, a percentage across all of your income or just management acquired income. Yep. Uh, and I'm just curious if you can kind of, explain that or explain how typically management works for creators. It's, it's honestly so dependent on the management company. Uh, some management companies will be like, we're going to take a percentage of everything, which includes yeah. AdSense. I would say the majority of management companies right now in, in the digital space will not commission AdSense, at least everything that I've seen. Some yeah. of them, I won't name them by names, but some of them are still trying to do those deals. We've kind of backed off from that over the years. The, the MCN world kind of mm-hmm. ruined that for mm-hmm. the managers. It's also the difference between music and every other space in digital yeah. is everything's commissionable in music. In, yeah. in digital, like you, if you're not commissioning the AdSense, that's usually half, 60% of the business you're sure. not commissioning. So most managers commission, what we call it found money. So like what, mm. if, they're, if they're doing an apparel deal for you, if they're negotiating a brand deal, that's all found money. And that will usually get a, a percentage fee coming off the top. Oh, that's a good, that's a good terminology for people to know. Yeah. Found money. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. if you're, if you're a creator who already has an established YouTube channel, chances are you're not giving up a percentage of your assets unless that person is involved in the production. I think if I was like, Hey Jimmy, I'm going to be super involved in the production. I'm going to help with creative. I'm going to be there every day. I'd be like, I need a percentage of AdSense, but like, I'm just not like he has a big production entity. Thankfully right. he's pulling off his <laughs> right, videos. Right, right. Uh, that I don't have to be in the weeds, but so I know some managers like to be in the weeds on, on the YouTube channel. Well, what's something that you think creators generally don't understand about the job of being a manager? Is there something you've noticed? I don't think they understand how much work goes into just getting someone to agree to do a brand deal. Mm. There's, a, there's a lot of stuff that just doesn't funnel into emails. I would say the majority of what we do does not funnel into emails. It's really relationship building. Uh, like, like some of the stuff that either Jimmy or Preston or Ryan or people have done in our company, I've had to build that relationship for two years. You meet them at VidCon, you take them out to coffee. You Mm -hmm. just like slowly Mm -hmm. get to know them. All of a sudden they're like, we just signed a new client. This would be perfect for Reed's client or whoever he pitched us. Right. 
So this is what happened when I worked with Dude Perfect. I started flying out to New York and LA and I would just meet in-person advertising agencies. I would go to like Barnson Marsteller, Bernson Cohen, and I would be like, bring all your marketing people. I'm going to like explain YouTube to everyone. <laughs> and I kid you not, there would be like 30 people in conference rooms and I would have this deck on how do you take advantage of YouTube creators? And I would pitch it to them. Eight months later, I would get a call from one of those agencies and they'd be like, hey, we just signed X brand. We think this is perfect for X creator. It was like took eight months to yeah. get there and I had yep. to fly out to New York. I had to like lay the groundwork. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a lot of relationship building. And like, thankfully now I've done this six and a half years. So I have a lot of those relationships, but early on, like it was tough. Like same with you guys at the whistle. Like we were like just trying to hustle doors open. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's yeah, yeah. really tough to do that. And I don't think most creators realize how hard it is to get some of those deals. I remember the amount of times that Colin and I went to Nike Went to Nike, went to Razorfish, went to RGA. We were trying so hard to get Nike to spend. And finally, we got them to spend, after like two years, 25K, you know? And yep. then that was a test. And then it worked. And, you know, but that- A lot that, of times there was someone at the company who was like, I get it. I yeah. believe what you're doing, but I can't get this ship to turn in that yeah. direction. Yeah, we don't have yeah. budget like, for just, experiential, yeah. digital, Yeah, whatever this whatever. is. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever you guys are doing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, trust me. I, I've been in this for years. Um, and a lot of companies still don't have digital marketing budgets. And, yeah. and even if they do, they have a really small amount of money where you're like, I can't do anything with 10K. I, I think what's yeah. interesting is like both, both of us were, we were in those rooms a lot mm -hmm. uh, and we would go sit in conference rooms of marketers and explain, you, we, that was our job at Whistles, go explain mm -hmm. what a creator was, what is YouTube. What's interesting is that led us to here, like wanting to explain it on YouTube to the rest of the world and put mm -hmm. those people in this chair. Uh, but there was a lot of me that actually wanted to do what you're doing because of that, when I started to see it, I was like, I have such a deep passion for, um, you know, creators and what they're making and telling the story to people. And I can see how the business works, but like the rest of the world can't see it yet. But uh, that is actually the role that you played and continue to play sure, in our in, business in, a lot. In our business, yeah. And like speaking to like building that relationship over right. eight months. I mean, I feel like I witnessed you yeah. do a lot of things right, right. where I was like, I, I kind of get why you're doing it, right. but there's no immediate return. Until, Until maybe two yeah. years later. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm curious if that um, that concept of even like laying the groundwork and like seeing a return, you know, much later, back to you know that first year with Jimmy, was it pretty immediate? Like considering his growth and his success, was it like, okay, I'm starting to work with this guy. He's yeah. pretty wild. He's cutting a table in half with a plastic knife and. Whatever the hell, yeah, whatever. He's watching paint dry, like yeah. whatever this dude is doing, and it's just like boom, it worked. And like, no, absolutely no. not. Okay, I had it. to. I mean, even Honey was a little easier because they'd already kind of experimented. The amount of people I called that were like, no chance. Like, yeah, we know this, this kid's crazy. not convert. He's yeah. from you know middle of nowhere. We don't understand the content. He's watching it's every day, mm -hmm. bro, for twenty four hours. Like, <laughs> yeah. no, nobody like, can't sell anything. Dude, with perfect that. was so much easier to yeah, sell because yeah. everyone's like sports, yeah. kids, yeah. perfect. Right. Jimmy was like early on, like there were some questionable videos where he was like shooting certain things. Like our biggest video was can fifty thousand magnets stop a bullet. 57 million views in three days. And in 2018, that was a banger. Right. Yeah, and right. Uh, most people were like, whoa, gun, no way. Right. And so that that was one thing that held us back a lot. And mm. I, him and I talked about it a lot in the early days is like, we got to stop the gun stuff. Like, But it, even that, what's interesting is that's like Mythbusters. 
I agree. Right? Like, right. there's a format of that on television, and there are ads <laughs> that play before that video. But a but a 18 year old kid in Makes the sense, middle yeah. of nowhere, you know, shooting stuff at random was like not something people were going to sponsor. It wasn't, on, only, TV. It wasn't on TV. It wasn't on TV. It, it didn't TV. have that feeling yeah. of like control around the environment. Right. Yeah, there wasn't a production yeah. company. It was yeah. like, hey, Jimmy, gun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. let's, let's yeah. shoot yeah. it. We can't sell that. Yeah, uh, yeah. and so it became just mobile games at the beginning. That's all I could convince. Like, I couldn't convince big advertising agencies to even touch it. So it became like um, World of Tanks and like all these random mobile games that thankfully sponsored videos because then we got to just pull off crazy stuff early on. If it wasn't for those mobile games, I don't know if we would have got brand deals in the first two years. It was so difficult. It would have been honey and that's it. Like I just, everyone else either wouldn't spend enough money with the amount of views he was getting because we were trying to just do CPM yeah. views. We were like, don't pay us a base fee. Just give us a 20, 15, $20 CPM and let us play the upside. Because I, I, we literally were like, okay, one video could get 5 million views. The next video would get 30. And we were like, we can't do a deal for X when you're getting 30 million views. And so we were like, we got to try and play the upside here. And nobody was willing to do those deals except for mobile gaming companies. Was there a brand that sort of marked an inflection point where you could start to do these types of deals with more Man, name brand what? companies? Even today, like, I mean, we have, you know, current bank, we've had, we've had a few big companies, but I just, everyone's asking questions about it. We're mm. still having a hard time getting automotive, telecom, mm. uh, a lot of like the bigger fortune 500 companies. They're still like having a hard time wrapping their heads around sponsoring a video that gets 80 million views on the internet. And then the amount of money that it takes to sponsor that video. Yeah. So it's like we've had a lot of marquee brands sponsor the channel, like um, Hasbro and Mattel, and but like we're still we're still fully in it, like trying to convince people on a daily basis. Really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like is and in that first year, like what was the type of money that would get you an integration with? What what, what were we looking days? for? Yeah, I mean, fifty k, we would do these de those deals all day. All day, yeah. Um, but we wanted CPM deals. We basically wanted a twenty dollars CPM with a minimum. So we'd be like 30K minimum, $20 CPM up to $125,000 cap. Yeah. So if the video, I can't do quick math, but if the video would get all the way up to 125,000 on that CPM, we'd hit the cap mm -hmm. and they'd have to pay us Got that it. money. Those are the deals we wanted to do. And so that's how we started doing it. Because it's, it's easy to negotiate base fees for someone that pulls a million views on average, every single views. Jimmy was growing so quickly month over Got month it. that it was so hard to value his videos. And I would like send out pricing to a brand and they would be like, not now. And they'd call me back six months later and be like, hey, we have budget. And I'd but be yeah, like, it's way more expensive. It's tripled. Yeah. So I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. And it still kind of does that to this day. It's like so hard to value his videos because like Squid Game gets 260 million views. The next video gets 130. So it's like, it's so hard. I think one of the most challenging things that I think about when it comes to sponsoring a YouTube video is the lifetime value of that integration. Because mm -hmm. it's baked into the content. Like it's not it's not leaving after 30 days or a year. It's well, like, this is where we've gotten a little smarter over the years. It's like after six months, we're taking your ad out. Um, how do you do that? Like uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's pre-negotiated in the YouTube editor. Yeah. But, but like in Jimmy's videos, like the story is progressing during a lot of the, now, it's become a much harder now when he puts it into the storyline. But for the most part, we have the ability within contracts to take it out. Um, and so a lot of times he'll be like, I got to figure out how I clip this like 45 seconds out after six months. And if they want to keep it in, then we're like, here's your fee to keep to, this to in for X for the amount usage. of months. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think that was something that I, I thought about a lot when it comes to a lot of our YouTube videos where it's like, wait, five years from now, this could have 20 million 
use and yeah mm-hmm. oh i dealt like, with it dude perfect like yeah. you do a deal for like 100k and then five years later the video has 160 million views and you're like that was the best 100k that person's ever spent in their entire life yeah yeah we were looking at um one of Rhett and link's old videos it's like a, a music video epic rap battle mm-hmm. sponsored by tiger direct and it has 59 million views right now and you're mm-hmm. like how much how much could that have been yeah. you know yeah. eight years ago for a music video on their channel, like what, what was that deal? Advertisers have gotten smart though, because I mean, even on Jimmy's channel, like you got to look at the, like most companies are just focused on American downloads, right? And so if Jimmy has, let's say 60% US downloads and he gets hundred million views, they're like, oh, we only really care about 60 million views. So that's become another negotiation point is like, what's the, yeah. the geo mm. locations of all these views? Cause we only care about America. Mm. And so we've also like, people have negotiated against us like that as well. So people are getting more sophisticated yeah. with their negotiation tactics. Does selling get more difficult as Jimmy's videos take longer to make? Uh, it doesn't become more difficult. It just becomes harder on me going back and asking for more time and more time and more time. Yeah. Like we've had situations where we've signed a deal, video is supposed to go up in June, it's now November and they're like, what the hell is going yeah, on? Where's yeah. our video? And I'm right. just like, I, J- Jimmy's just filming good videos. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know. There was too much wind on this private so island. He, yeah. I mean, he's definitely left me out to dry a few times, but like he's trying to make the best videos possible. Like yeah. I yeah. totally get it. So it's like, I'll take that bullet all the time to be like, hey, you're not getting a video this month. Mm-hmm. I know you have to mm-hmm. spend your budget, but yeah. like we're trying to make the best video possible and you're going to get a banger when it goes up. You're going to have to wait another 60 days. Mm-hmm. And most people have been fine with it. I think because they're like, we really want a Mr. Beast video. Yeah. Uh, but some people have been incredibly upset when I come back and I'm like, hey, your video that was supposed to go up in November is probably not going to go up until January. Probably somewhat more similar to movies. Like mm-hmm. if Chevy pays for an integration in a blockbuster film. Sure. But that film gets delayed in production. Which think of how much that time. happened during COVID. Yeah. We, yeah. we had deals with movies um, for different studios where they were delaying movies up to nine months and then it would get right. delayed another four months. And then eventually we just pulled out of deals. Right. We were like, what we negotiated a year ago no longer stands today. So right. we're pulling out of this deal. Mm-hmm. And it's a big loss for them because they, we thought they had a good price for that video and then we no longer are doing it. So in, in a lot of our conversations with creators and creators who have managers, there sometimes comes a point where because creators have to invest the money into production, where their manager potentially is making more money than them. Huh. Okay. Is, ha, did that ever happen? Um, was there, has there ever been any tension like that uh, between you and your clients where maybe they question the, the commission they're paying to you or, or they're, they're like uncomfortable with it or... How do you react to, I guess, that? There hasn't. I mean, I think it's because we help with so many different things. Yeah. Like we're not just, again, like agents are very transactional. You like hear from them when they have a brand deal. Like we're, you know, usually involved in the hiring process. If we need to vet people, we're involved in that. Like we're very particular about like merch margins, like how much are they spending on cogs? Like mm-hmm. where's the, what's the shipping? Are they ripping a, a percentage on the ship? Like we're very involved in like minor details. So it's never been an issue. I think if we took a giant step back and been like, we're just going to funnel brand deals and that's all we're doing and we're not going to talk to you. I think then it might become an issue, but we've just taken a much more hands-on approach of like, let's actually help them grow their business. Cause like everyone wins. If, if we help them hire re- two really good people that change their production philosophy and now they're pulling twice the amount of views, it becomes more brands, more apparel sales. Like now we can work into like a CPG business that we're launching with them. And so I think it's our approach that's made us not have to have those conversations, Got it. but I could see how that would come up. I've heard it in the music industry a lot. Right. Manager makes more than 
artists artist because mm-hmm. they go on tour. The tour costs them $10 million. Mm-hmm. The gross is 20. Yeah. Manager commissions the 20. So I've, I've heard That's that. Right. Um, we just, we haven't crossed, like we haven't seen that yet, I guess, in, with any of our clients. You mentioned uh, growing CPG businesses yeah. with creators and obviously a Feastables. Was yeah. that the first, like what was the initial first brand uh, like that that you started with a creator? Outside of apparel, it was definitely Feastables. It took Jimmy and I two and a half years to get that business launched. There's a whole video we could do on just how hard that was. But Feastables was definitely the first one. I, I pitched it to Jimmy in Dallas in a parking lot. Uh, and it was, it, it, he instantly was like, we have to do it. Like, I, like, better for you, snacks for kids, like gamified company. Like, you always win a prize. He's like, it's genius. Um, but we were starting with jerky. So it was supposed to be a jerky company. It evolved into a chocolate business, which is now going to launch other products pretty quickly here. Uh, that was the first one. And we have a few more that I can't say that are coming down the pipe. I think CPG is really interesting. I think software to us is more interesting is like what software businesses can you launch with creators? Like, are you playing in the gaming space? Are you in the SaaS space? Mm. Like I, you know, our, our venture studio right now is like worked on so many different things. And so we're, we're focused on a lot of areas. And I would say CPG is probably 20% of what we're focused on just because like there is some areas that we see value. Was so feasible as you just mentioned, like it was yeah. a challenge to, to build that company. Mm-hmm. Why did you think that was a good idea um, to build Feastables? And can you talk through some of the challenges? Yeah, well, we wanted something that we thought Jimmy's fan base would really relate to. And, and also, the, this kind of has to, you kind of have to go back to the Mr. Beastburger conversation because that one came out of nowhere. Got it. That was someone approached us in, I want to say September. We launched it in end of, end of December. Someone approached us in September with this idea about like virtual kitchens. And we were like, what the hell is a virtual kitchen? Um, and Jimmy and I initially didn't like the idea. And the more we kind of sat and thought about it, we were like, wait, is this a company or is this a way to help people during COVID that are all struggling? And if we launch a hamburger in a bunch of existing restaurants, are we going to triple people's businesses? That kind of became what that mm. business was. Mm-hmm. Feastables was already in the process. Got it. That one just kind of like fell in front of us. And we were like, okay, this is really interesting. We have to do it. But the reason we wanted to do Feastables was like, one, Jimmy's very passionate about making better for you snacks for kids. He doesn't eat, neither of us eat candy. Like I'll have gummy worms and stuff here and there, but like we're, we don't like eat twi- like <laughs> Twix and Snickers. I love Trolley yeah, yeah, yeah. gummy worms, <laughs> yeah. by the way. Sounds like you're Achilles heel. Yeah. Yeah. We, we need, we need to, that's what we need to create in yeah, yeah. Trolley gummy worms. But yeah, he's just really passionate about creating snacks for kids that are actually better than what is currently on the market. Like he talks a lot about Hershey and their chocolate bar and how unhealthy it is. And so- he also has Crohn's. He doesn't talk about that a mm. lot. He's also not able to eat this stuff because of what's in the what's in the ingredient list. And so it was always something that he was very passionate about. We just needed a hook. That was like the one thing we were missing is like, what's what's going to make this something that like Mr. Beast fans will gravitate towards and what's going to like get them really interested. And that's kind of where this gamification, giving away a chocolate factory, all this kind of stuff came into play that's when he really started to lean in on like, okay, now we have a marketing thesis for this company. I think it's ready. It's just during COVID finding organic cocoa beans yeah, uh, that sure. are uh, <laughs> source that like family owned was very challenging. Uh, and so it ended up being in Peru, uh, which you can't go there during COVID. Right, like, right, right. So it's like that yeah. we couldn't even go see the facility. Like we were seeing it through pictures and just being like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe like we're going to pull the trigger on this. And we had to buy 4 million bars initially. So it was like, 
we're you now buy four million we got four bars? million bars. So we're like relying on this place in Peru during COVID to ship four million bars through customs to get them into America. Why did you have to get four million? That was their minimum, or like no? That was like we were like let's launch this with four million. Like it was just after our it. forecasting. That's what I we see. want to do for season one. Oh man, it was, it was so many headaches along the way. Yeah, and so many like, like bumps and just because of COVID and issues with supply chain. And we also went through so many different branding exercises and design teams. And yeah, it just took us a long time to get there. And then now all of a sudden we had to build a website that could handle a QR code and process sure. a spin wheel and like win things in real time. And it was just incredibly complex. I think a lot of creators, like when they see something like Feastables or Prime, like mm -hmm. Logan and KSI did, like they want to do something similar, right? Like we all want to show that other side of ourselves, like build a business that can last after maybe we're done making videos. But hearing you talk about like the problems that you guys had to face and even like ordering 4 million bars. Yeah. Clearly there's like, takes a lot of money, takes a lot of people. And I'm sure now Feastables has a ton of employees. Like, yeah. right? Like what does it actually Jimmy look like? Jimmy and I were joking about that the other day because there was a team meeting for Feastables and I sent him like a screenshot of the team meeting. And I was like, dude, look at all these people in Feastables. <laughs> I was like, this used to just be you and I and like Jim, who's the CEO. Yeah. And we, so this is what kind of like our philosophy with Feastables. It was, we wanted to create a product that was really good that we thought his fan base could could really gravitate towards. So it was like product market fit of better for you snacks. We knew Jimmy's community would convert. The last piece of this equation was like, we needed a really good CEO because we knew Jimmy and I weren't gonna be able to focus on this business. Right. And so we were lucky enough to meet, his name's Jim Murray. He was the former president of RX Bar. He had our, our X Bar had just sold and he was at the at, at end of his like buyout non-compete. And we started interviewing people and we met him and like instantly Jimmy and I were like, this is the guy, like we found the guy. And so we ended up hiring him, eventually hired the COO of RX Bar. And we just started hiring out the executive team. Without them, this business would have been an utter disaster. Mm -hmm. And I think this is like one thing that creators need to remember is if you're starting businesses, you're not going to be the CEO of every business. Jimmy's not the CEO of Mr. Beast Burger. He's not the CEO of Feastables. Like those are separate teams, separate people thinking about those businesses every day. So if you're a creator right now, it's like, I want to start X business. Go find people that can help you run that business. Don't think you're going to be the CMO, the CEO. It just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Like you, it's the same with your production company. You need good people to make good videos. You need good people in these businesses for them to last and have success. Because if you're the only one thinking about like your chocolate bar company, it's not going to succeed. Right. Yeah. Like we're, we're already planning for next, like next summer. Like we're already that far down the line of like product innovation. But like Jimmy and I, like we wouldn't even know where to start. We'd be like gummy worms. Great. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like right, right. someone go find where we can get gummy right. worms. Like that would have been the conversation. So yeah. I was like, without that, like this company doesn't happen. I think like, yeah, like in, in our world right now, and especially you as a manager who's working on multiple creator projects, you have to start things that are brand new to you often, right? <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. yeah I never thought I'd be selling hamburgers. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Like a, it's like a brand new thing. And like, even for us, when we, even though we're familiar with making videos, sometimes if we take on a video project that's new, it's mm -hmm. super challenging, right? Because you're doing it for the first time and you're experimenting and you're trying things and you're going down different roads. So I definitely think that's something that's, for some reason, as creators, we do start to think like we can, oh yeah, let's, we just need to get merch up. Yeah. Like the apparel business, the e-commerce apparel business is a whole, it's a full functioning industry that has its own players, its own rules mm -hmm. and uh, things that you need to learn to actually execute it. And I think that's where the creators that are succeeding or have, uh, have CEOs in place who have experience in those worlds. I mean, like with our newsletter, we got newsletter people. Right. Because yeah. we had right. never launched the newsletter before. Right, right, right. right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, we were talking about this off camera. Yeah. I was like, what's that 
company look like? And you're like yeah. writer and yeah. like person general that runs general yeah. manager. Yeah. I was like, of course, like you have to. Yeah. Because yeah. You, if you guys are going to start multiple business units, like you have to have people responsible for each one. And that's where I've seen creators really screw up is they think that the biggest piece of the equation is like, I have community, I have an audience, I can promote product, product will be successful. No, these are all, these all come down to people businesses. Like you can maybe have a giant marketing funnel, but if you don't know how to run and operate a company, it's not going to work. Like mm -hmm. it may work for six months. Eventually this has to become a business. And so that's like really where we started with both of these is like, who is responsible for these yeah. business and what does that team look like? Yeah. So what is now, I, I know you shared this on LinkedIn, the uh, Patty Galloway's graphic of like a yeah. creator business, right? And how it, how it is diversified and different parts of it. In your experience right now, like, is there a, today, a classic model of creator business? Like if there's a young creator, they start, you know, making it, they get a million subs. Uh, is there a like, okay, here's how it works. We're going to get you some brand deals. We're going to launch, you know, mm -hmm. a business with you. Is there, is, does that exist or is it different for every creator? I don't think it's different for every creator. I think if you're a YouTuber right now, it kind of goes in the same line is it's like same with hiring, right? It's like you usually hire an editor, a thumbnail artist, then mm -hmm. a production person, then a creative. It kind of works the same way with uh, like, so let's just say monetization is AdSense usually comes first, right? I've seen instances where apparel comes first if the content yeah. is too edgy to, to mm -hmm. run ads. But I would say the majority of the time, AdSense is the first revenue stream. The second revenue stream is almost always your first, second, third brand deal. Right. Usually people don't launch apparel before brands come into the fold. And those brands could be affiliate deals, they could be base fee deals. So it's usually AdSense, brand sponsorships, then apparel usually comes third. Where this gets interesting is like bubble four, five, six, seven. Yeah. Right. I've seen like content syndication, um, other products and services like CPG. Now we're getting into like paywall services like Patreon and Fansly mm -hmm. and OnlyFans. And so and and then there's another layer of this, which is like Twitch Prime subs or YouTube memberships. But usually the first three are always AdSense, brand sponsorships, apparel. Very rarely, I, I could see a paywall service maybe coming first, but that that person's usually just like, I'm on Patreon. I'm not like a massive YouTube creator, sure. right? So it's, I would say for the most part, at least everyone we've worked with, that's been the exact same philosophy or the exact same revenue model. Hmm. Yeah, I would say we, we only differ in that, uh, AdSense was never significant for us. But you still made money on it. We still made money on it. Yeah, yeah it was still the first dollars we made exactly. yeah. as a creator. So that's that's right. Um, and then I'm curious about apparel. Like, do you think apparel is right for every creator? No, absolutely not. I think way too many creators yeah. have apparel and I don't think they should. And I think there's a lot of great apparel businesses out there you can work with now that have very low margins because they've all squeezed each other. But I do not think everyone should be selling t-shirts and hoodies and hats. I think each creator is different. Each creator has a different type of community that they can sell to. And that community is interested in something else. Not everyone wants to buy a t-shirt. Even for Jimmy, like we haven't really sold apparel in seven months. Like we've been really focused mm -hmm. on hamburgers and right. chocolate bars. Right. And like, he'll eventually sell a hoodie probably again, but it's never been a big part of our business. Like I'm sure people love buying Mr. Beast merchandise, but like we would much rather build enterprise value in a subsidiary company than just continue to just chill merchandise every video. And I think creators probably need to take a step back sometimes be like, maybe I do like a publishing business and I write books or sell mm. comics mm -hmm. or do something else that's a really good D2C business instead of just let's just do the hats, T-shirts, hoodies thing. So right. that, that's where like I, I get a little frustrated when I see creators is like everyone feels like they just need to like sell T-shirts. 
And there's only like so many people that are going to buy your t-shirt at this point. Like, it's just a commodity. When you look at us and what we do as creators, are there certain avenues that you think we should go down? Yeah. Like what's your advice? I mean, it's us? like your audience is like me, right? Or right. people that are in their twenties that want to be aspiring creators, or maybe are creators that are growing. feels to me like courses about mm -hmm. content creation is like the one that sticks out the most. I know you guys sold hats and they sold out instantly, <laughs> but that's like a specialty item mm -hmm. right, that yeah. people want. Like that's interesting. Instead of you guys having like an always on store where right. that item no longer becomes special. Um, and I've seen it where like Nelk, Nelk's a good example of, they knew alcohol was going to be an interesting mm -hmm. space for them. And now they sell all these like alcohol adjacent things. Yeah. Like they sell the bottle openers, right. they sell the beer pong, like cups, mm -hmm. like they sell all that stuff. But for you guys, it feels like courses makes a ton of sense. Um, courses is our alcohol basically. Yeah. It's probably not as <laughs> yeah. scalable, um, but it's- It has the same sex appeal. Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah. Like it's yeah. just, you know, but like I, I would be interested to hear from you guys, like, cause you guys are probably working towards this. Like what's yeah. the, what's the commerce opportunity outside of apparel? So, yeah, I think what's interesting is like, we've been a largely partnerships business since the beginning, right? Like mm -hmm. because of even our experience and being in those rooms, like our understanding of the media industry is in advertising partnerships. So we've been 90% a partnerships business. Mm -hmm. um, the first course we released uh, in, in 2020, which was so long ago at this point, it was like an experiment. It was like, mm -hmm. I was talking to my brother, my brother's in the apparel business. And, you know, he was telling me, he was, our videos at the time were getting 10,000 views. And he was like, man, you have 10,000 people watching your videos. That's insane. Like if I had 10,000 people buying my one item from me, that's like millions of dollars for me. And that something immediately something clicked for me where I, cause we were struggling to get more viewership than that. I was like, well, what if we did sell something? Mm. Um, and I knew it wasn't apparel. Like we weren't going to make a merchandise line. And so I was thinking about what we were doing. I was like, oh, we're making content that educates creators. What if we make content that educates creators behind a paywall? Like what yep. if we sell that? And so that was the first experience with commerce and we sold the course for a hundred bucks and 1100 people bought it. And it was like, wait a second. Wow. What? Uh, and I think since then we've still been, we've been very focused on being, you know, growing the platform. And I think now we're getting to that point again, where that's the commerce opportunity, mm -hmm. but our first, you know, revenue diversification, I would say was more of an expansion on, we had so much inbound on partnerships that we were like, okay, we can't fulfill all of this on YouTube. Could we launch a more scalable media property where we can fulfill partnerships? And that was where the newsletter came yeah. in. Which is smart. Yeah. Like build the morning brew for creators, right? right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, it, and it's, hey, we send that three times a week now. So we can service mm -hmm. three partners a week there. Whereas on YouTube right now, we're, you know, we're even going down from four videos a month to, to three to two, right? So it's like, uh, that, that is getting more challenging for us to produce, uh, whereas that is super scalable. We could probably go yeah. up in quantity there. How, how crazy is it that more creators don't have newsletters, especially the ones in technology, politics, like all these yeah. like traditional media spaces? It's, it, I would say like conceptually, yes, it's crazy, but execution wise, mm -hmm. it was, re it's really hard. Like it's, to make a good newsletter, I think is, is super challenging. It's the same storytelling problems you have in a YouTube video, yeah. right? Where it's like, What's the, mm -hmm. what's the hook? What's the, the body? Is there takeaways? Is this shareable? Is someone actually going to refer someone to this? What's the subject line? Like there's, you're making those micro de creative decisions 
you know, regularly. But there is a lot of opportunity there. But yeah. there's sure. an undeniable amount of opportunity. Mm-hmm. It's uh, such a natural extension because it's advertising to advertising. Yeah. Not like advertising to then merch. Or yeah. If I, right. if I were to TechCrunch right now, I would be like, okay, Marquez Brownlee, like, let's start a newsletter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll yeah, be yeah. your writer yeah. and yeah. we'll start it together. He like, does write for uh, BBC, right? For Top I, Gear. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Top yeah. Gear. But like, yeah, it yeah. seems like yeah, a yeah. no brainer right. if for I was sure. a writer without at some question. tech publication. Like, why not go to the individual that appeals to that community and write for him? For sure. So, for sure. There you go, Marquez's little business idea I'm curious if there have been moments you know, or if there were even moments in that first year with Jimmy or since then that you had like almost, oh shit moments together. You oh guys shit like, in a good way or a bad it, way? It, well, <laughs> let's, let's do both. First, I want to hear in a good way of like, can you believe this is happening? Like, were there ever moments, maybe like Elon Musk responding to a tweet from Jimmy for the first time or so, some like yeah. big moment of like, what? Like, this there's is getting that big. Honestly, there's been so many. Um, the first one was the 50,000 magnets stop a bullet. Yeah. Up until that point, like real time views would be like, you know, two, three million. I think seeing 8 million real time, we mm. were like, what is going on? Right. That was like one of the moments where we were like, wait, how do we replicate this? We just got 20 million views in a day. Like, how is that possible? That was, that was one of the first ones. The Team Trees one was really interesting with the Elon mm. Musk thing. Yeah. I think um, I received a phone call from Jimmy. He pitched me on this idea where he was like, how hard do you think it is to plant 10,000 trees? I was like, sounds pretty hard. (laughs) I need a lot of people. And he's like, okay, what about 100,000 trees? I was like, sounds way harder. (laughs) And so we like had this conversation about planting trees. And he's like, I want to plant, I want to film a video where I plant 100,000 trees. And I was like kind of crunching the numbers on a calculator. I'm like, we're going to need a lot of people per minute. It takes like, I was like, on average, it takes yeah, X yeah. amount of time to plant <laughs> a tree. You got to dig a yeah. hole. And so we were like doing this math in my head. I was like, it's impossible. And he was like, okay, how do we do this on a bigger scale? That's kind of where team trees came in. We had no idea. Like there was no expectation. Like we mm. thought that it was going to be successful, but then seeing Elon Musk respond to Marquez Brownlee on Twitter and saying, hey, I'm good for a million. Jimmy calling me and being like, you think he's serious? You think he's serious? <laughs> and like hitting refresh on the website. And then all of a sudden it pops up and everyone was like, what just happened? Yeah. Right. So there's been a lot of those moments, I think, in apparel, in feastables. Opening day of Mr. Beast Burger was kind of like a holy shit in a bad way moment. Mm. We were st- we knew it was going to be successful. I don't think we really had planned for how crazy it was going to be. And for you guys on the outside, you were probably like, how did Jimmy do this? I was getting calls from so many creators that were so confused. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They were like, I don't understand how you guys opened 300 restaurants in one single day. Right. And now I'm on DoorDash and I can order Mr. Beast Burger. Like so many people are so confused. But the sheer amount of orders on that first night was so wild. We had like a hundred cars waiting outside restaurants, waiting for their orders. And there wasn't enough delivery drivers to order the amount of hamburgers that were being ordered. Mm-hmm. And then every place was running out of buns and hamburgers. And so people were calling me like, we don't have any more buns. And then someone would have to drive to a grocery store to oh get buns. God. And it was just utter circus. And Jimmy and I like sat on our couches and we were on Twitter for like six hours. Supply. We had no customer support, mm. like z- <laughs> we had zero customer wow. support. And so we were just, I was, people were just yelling on Twitter about like not receiving their orders for like two hours. And him and I were just playing damage control. That was like a holy shit in a bad way. And then the next morning I woke up and we were just like looked at each other and we were like, what just happened? How do we fix this? It was like a holy shit. This is the coolest thing we've ever done to, oh my God, this is a fire. How are we going to deal with this? Literally within an hour. 
So that that's the one that probably stands out the most to me. And now Mr. Beast Burger is what it is. But that the first 48 hours are probably, probably the most stressful part, I, most stressful thing I've ever been a part of. Outside of finger on the app. That was a little bit of a... Oh, yeah. yeah. Finger oh, on man. the app. 1.6 million concurrent players. Like, that was also... If you had a Samsung Galaxy Edge, you were, yeah. like, getting kicked out of the game because of the edge of the phone. And, yeah. again, like, playing damage control on Twitter. Yeah. It's just, like, when that amount of people play a game, like, people are going to be upset. Like, you guys... We play what? Call of Duty, yeah. and I get killed, and I'm like, this guy's ping's way better than mine. <laughs> yeah. This game's trash. So we, like, didn't anticipate if you were going to be like, this game's trash. Yeah. What am I playing? Why do you have an appetite for that level of exposure and, and risk in these projects? We're just trying to like break barriers and kind of like set the bar. Like yeah. we, we want to show other creators what's possible. Like you can launch your own mobile game. You can get millions of people playing on it in a single day. Like we, we've always wanted to push barriers and I think we're continually doing that with what we're doing. And the first person through the wall usually gets the bloodiest. And in the Mr. Beast Burger scenario, like it was brutal. The first 48 hours were brutal, but I mean, I wouldn't do anything. Like I wouldn't take back the idea. I think what we did opened everyone's eyes to virtual dining and the mm -hmm. scalability of it and how crazy it can get. Um, same with finger on the app, like 1.6 million people playing. Like it was wild to us. Just like watching the data on the back end of like all these people moving their thumbs yeah, yeah, was yeah. wild. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, I wouldn't change anything about it. I just think when we're, we're trying to innovate and we're also doing these things really quickly, like Mr. Beast Burger is like three months of planning. It mm -hmm. wasn't like years. It was like, we had three months to pull this off. And so it's like some things just get lost in that process. And it's like, we, in Feastables, we did completely different because of that. Like we learned a lot from both of those cases yeah. that like you have to be able to solve for things that could potentially go wrong. Um, I mean, one's like, for, like chocolate melting, right? obvious yeah. and so like we have giant bricks that like ship with our chocolate just so chocolate doesn't melt mm. but if we wouldn't have done mr beast burger probably prior to that we probably wouldn't even have thought of that we'd have been like oh people would get shipped chocolate great and then it would have all melted and then we would have had to deal with it after the fact um so it's just it's put us in a different mindset of like okay how many things can go wrong mm. let's actually just think about those for the next like two months and let's prepare for that when it comes to like innovating like that, changing people's perceptions about what's possible with creators, has there been anything for you in the past two years where something you feel like uh, has happened in the creator economy that you weren't expecting, certain type of growth? Like I feel like these last two years have been super unique. I didn't, I'll be honest, like I didn't expect TikTok to blow up like it did. I, I just didn't think people would go back to short form video. Like, yeah. like cause I was like Vine had its moment I loved it. It passed. I really didn't think people were going to come back to short form as much as they did. And now every social platform is just a bad version of TikTok. Mm -hmm. It's like YouTube wants to be a bad version of TikTok. Instagram is trying to be a bad version of TikTok. I, two years ago, didn't anticipate this. I honestly thought TikTok was just a trend that was going to just blow away. Mm -hmm. And I was like, the whole dancing thing is just not going to last. I still have a lot of questions around community building, around swipe content. But yeah, TikTok was not something that I saw coming. I actually internally was kind of leading the charge around like, we don't really want to represent TikTok creators. Like let's focus on where we think community is built and that's on YouTube. And so when everyone else was launching these management companies, signing TikTok creators and, and opening TikTok houses, yeah. you guys probably noticed like night's very quiet. We didn't right. really sign any TikTok creators because we were like, we would rather have Mariah Elizabeth, Sophia Nygaard. We'd rather have massive communities built on YouTube than sign this like up and coming TikTok creator with 50 million followers that like may or may not grow a community. 
And yeah. I think it's like proven now that, I mean, after VidCon, VidCon was like VidCon was crazy. Yeah. yeah, that was eye-opening for me. Like the TikTokers not being able to fill rooms and like people yeah. not showing up. And then you have Tommy in it in another room and it's just Dude, that, bananas. Yeah. Dream SMP right? room was, uh, that to me was the most eye-opening also. But I, I also thought there was a lot of YouTube creators that like the fame of a YouTube creator is almost spread out across a lot more now mm -hmm. than when I, when we went to VidCon the year that, you know, Logan Paul was in the fountain and there's like so many people there and Casey Neistat, everyone's chasing him around. Like I, I didn't really feel like anyone was getting chased around by fans. Like, except yeah. for streamers. Except for like streamers. streamers. Yeah, the sort of SMP guys. That, yeah. The SMP yeah. uh, folks. Cause they're like, they have the deepest relationship with an audience. They're it's, I think a lot of it has to do with just their community building was just done so well mm. on Twitter. They're like they, you know, USC, when like Tommy yeah. tweets, he gets 400,000 yeah. likes, right, right. right? So it's like, yeah. he has this, they, the whole dream SMP from dream to Sapnap to whoever, they have this like deep embedded community that was really built during COVID when everyone was inside and they did this narrative storytelling around the dream SMP and everyone gravitated towards it. And so it was interesting to see that at VidCon. There also wasn't as many tickets sold. Usually there's 50,000 yeah. people at VidCon. Got there it. wasn't that amount of people there. Um, and they did a good job keeping the creators behind the scenes. Like even with Jimmy, like we had security and we yeah, were yeah, like yeah. never seen in right. the conference area. Uh, we were definitely worried, but yeah, walking into rooms where like a TikTok creator was speaking and it was half full. It's like, wow, I didn't expect this. Like this person has 30 million TikTok followers, but like can't fill a room of a thousand people. Yeah. Like, it, was, it was a kind but of, that's more, like too saturated. that's more common now. Right. Like for yeah. someone to have you, I think you just posted this, right. The amount of people who have a million subs on YouTube. Yeah, how yeah. that's in, in America. Yeah. In America, like was, what? Uh, what are those zero, stats? In 2010, there was zero over 10,000. Now there's what was it? 5,500 in America. Over a million. Over a million. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. So that's crazy. like that's the super growth. substantial when you yeah. think about then. You, and I'm sure on TikTok that number is insane, right? Oh, I I, I couldn't so, even. I don't even remember. I don't even know the names of these TikTok channels. There's like people with 50 million followers on TikTok, and I I remember seeing their face scrolling through, but I can't identify what the channel name is. I think that's different on YouTube. Right. If yeah. someone has 50 million subs, like I, and I've watched two videos, I remember the channel name. Yeah. If I, I could watch a TikTok um, from someone, I could watch 30 TikToks from a TikToker and I could not even remember their name because you're through it so quick. Mm -hmm. You're like five yeah. seconds and you're gone onto yeah. the next. You just don't even pay attention. I think that's the difference is like, it's so hard to build community on TikTok right now. And it, it worries me for the, you guys see this, the people growing on YouTube with YouTube shorts, I don't think they're growing fan bases. I think people are just flicking through YouTube shorts. They're getting hundreds of millions of views a month. But when they go to do something like even sell apparel, like nobody wants it because they just haven't built a community. Whereas like Dream and Carl, they were doing two hour live streams on Twitch. Yeah. And they were doing narrative based storytelling and they were communicating with people on Twitter and Reddit. And it's just, it's, it's a different touch point. And so it's like, it's yeah. really hard for me to kind of wrap my head around like, why would we represent a TikTok creator over a massive YouTube channel? When we did our piece on Carl, and even to take a step back, when we went out to Greenville, we played basketball with Sapnap, mm -hmm. East, and Carl, right? And uh, just so you, that yeah, Sapnap's yeah. trash at basketball. Just you yeah, said, I mean, listen, yeah. you he's said it, not us, good. but <laughs> but he's experienced, you know, playing against the, me. Yeah, playing so. against Colin and Samir, so he knows he knows what happened. Um, oh. But yeah, <laughs> we need a tape. Jimmy and Sap know what happened, and I got tape for it. Oh, yeah. let's we go. We got tape. We got tape. Uh, Jimmy, actually, at one point, I like, 
I uh, hit a basket over Jimmy. I don't even know if that's good basketball. Hit, hit a basket? I can't. I can't. I yeah. scored a the, hoop. We released a clip yeah. that was highly edited. Yeah, that highly it edited. Look like we played much better. Yeah, than yeah, we yeah. Anyhow, whatever. There's like a we posted an Instagram story, and like in the corner of it, you can see Carl, mm-hmm. and that screenshot got posted on Twitter, and that post got like ten thousand likes from a Carl yeah. fan account, and that's when I was like, wait, hold on. I know Carl's popular, but like what's going on here? And then we like, you know, as we made that video about Carl, we kind of, we spent time, we actually interviewed Carl fans and like spent time understanding them and being like, whoa, this is the depth of this relationship is completely different than any other relationship. Yeah. And I think, you know, seeing it with even Tommy in it and the, the dream S and P. And, um, I do think there's this, there's two sides of the spectrum right now. There's that what's happening in Twitch streaming, Ludwig, Pokimane, mm. Carl, you know, like XQC, all these people. And then there's the short form content creators. It's like, it's completely opposite sides of the spectrum. Spending the most amount of time with a creator, spending the least amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder though, just where it nets out for all of these short form creators that have grown so much. In the I past unfortunately two years. think is if we're headed into an economic downturn, like it's going to be really hard for them to make money. That was like, idea. like that's when I started talking about like, are we headed into a recession? It was really targeted at, at like short form content creators because I, I'm not worried about the Carls and Jimmy's and Sapnaps who have like have diversified revenue streams and YouTube channels and Twitch streams. I'm more worried for the TikTok creator who only can do brand deals. There's no ad revenue on TikTok. Mm. They maybe do like one brand deal a month. They don't have a community where they can sell a substantial amount of apparel. They aren't creating their own businesses. That's who I'm worried for. And that's like what I've kind of seeing is like those brand deals are probably going to dry up. And then how do they make money? So I'm just worried that like all these long form people stop posting content. They're like, I need to go figure out how to make money with my life because I have 30 million followers on TikTok, but no one's paying for it anymore. So that's like that. It really worries me. And I'm seeing it now being replicated on YouTube with YouTube shorts. The amount of channels doing over 300 million views just on YouTube shorts is wild at the moment. And nobody knows who they are. It's just crazy. Like every day I go on social blade and I'm like, who's in the top 100 viewed channels right now. It's all shorts channels. Interesting. It's crazy. And, but, but no, like people are paying attention cause they're flicking through shorts, but I don't think anyone really is paying attention to these people. Do you think, um, some of these type of creators, like short form creators, do they get hired by companies to go in house to do like, what's the path for the creator who had two years of, you know, growth and then kind of either can't solve the business or something happens. Like what is this crop of young people who understand the internet? Where do they net out? Like, where do they go? I've seen it happen. So Subway just hired a TikTok creator who like used to, you saw this one that you used to make, he makes videos in Subway. Wait, Milan? Milan? Yeah. And he hired, he does videos for Mr. Beastburger as well. So like, well, not hired him, but like are paying him. Oh, to oh do okay, that. okay. So it's yeah, like, a, we're seeing companies now pay creators to produce videos on their, on their for TikToks. owned and operated. Owned and operated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm seeing this happen more and more. I'm really worried though, that like those opportunities are really small and limited to a certain amount of people. And that a lot of the other people that are just making comedy videos, which are just more yeah. like broad, are not going to figure out how to monetize this. And mm. they're just going to kind of just fall to the wayside. What is, it, what is it about YouTube then that you think the recession or a downturn won't affect it as much when it comes to long form? Uh, I mean, I, the AdSense is definitely going to be affected to some extent. I just, people are still going to make money. Like brands are still going to spend money on ads. And so... If you're making, you guys make 15, 20 minute videos, you run multiple ads, you're still gonna make significant money if you're pulling views. You just might make 20 to 30, maybe 40% less. So that money's still gonna roll in. 
I'm just like, again, if you're not making money off AdSense and you're relying on sponsorships, like that's gonna be affected. I, I've gotten so many emails in the past two months from brands saying they're either restructuring their marketing teams, they've had significant layoffs, or they're not spending in Q3 or Q4. Like people are now getting ahead of this and being mm-hmm. like, hey, we laid off nine people in the marketing department, we no longer have budget in Q3. Like this, it's, it's happening. Some people might not feel it yet, but I, I'm just, I'm feeling this just through the emails that I'm getting from brands. And so if you're a creator who's solely fixated on brand deals, like you gotta figure out where you're making money from. And it could, there's a lot of areas, like there's more opportunity in the creator economy than ever to launch different types of paywall services. Like there's so many different opportunities right now, even alt monetization on YouTube. You have memberships, yeah. you mm-hmm. have donations, yep. like there, there is a lot of opportunity. I, I think the power of it and like where, where to think about it is like truly what is your relationship with your audience? I think that's the safeguard, mm-hmm. right? And in, in a lot of scenarios. And then if you can solve how to, you know, monetize that, we had a, a creator, Andrew Schultz on the show. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with He's what just happened. Right yeah. yeah. And I mean, he, he bought his, his special back from a streamer mm-hmm. and he released it on moment house with a paywall and you know, the, the streamer was going to pay him 1.1 million in the first weekend. He did 3.6 million on the paywall. And he said it on his show. He's like, it's, it's my relationship with the audience. Like the audience is who I work for. Uh, and I think that's probably what we're going to see in the next you know six months as creators start who have a deep connection with their audience yeah. turn and say, how do, what does this relationship look like if I take out, you know, the brands? Yeah. And you own it. Like he yeah. now owns that instead of the person he sold, well, potentially was selling it to is going to own that, right. that piece of content. And yeah. so, yeah, I mean, what I saw him talk about this on BFFs, yep. like how yeah, that yeah. deal worked. So. Yeah. That was, yeah. that was actually really good. Yeah. I thought, it, it, yeah. He could eventually so like eventually sell it. Yeah, he could. Right. Like this, he has wants been, this has been sort of like a windowed release mm-hmm. to people who really he, wanted to see it first. You're right. He said yeah. he only, it was two days, three days. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you had to buy it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And then now he need, he can figure out what he wants to do with it from here. Yep. So that 1.1 million now might turn into five, 10, who knows? Mm-hmm. But, but, and he also has it, data now of like what he said this on, on the pod, but like what that means if he does go with a streamer next time, mm-hmm. like what his value is. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. Yeah. It's significant. Yeah, agreed. Um, yeah, it's it's been fun like watching all these because po- I think the podcast is another interesting way that people have a unique touch point to their their, yeah. their their fan base. And just with him and some of these other people, they've had a lot of success through podcasting, which is then equated to them doing like what you said, like a right. comedy special that people want to buy because they listen to that hour long podcast. Mm-hmm. If you're committing to someone, like even with this video, if you're mm-hmm. committing to this for an hour, yeah. chances are when you guys sell uh, yeah. some some course, mm-hmm. the person that listened to this hour podcast is probably going to buy that course. Right. There's just a deeper level of connection. And I think a lot of traditional celebrities are now figuring that out and yeah. how they can do that on the internet. So it, it feels like um, with Jimmy, there was a inflection point on the Squid Game video. Mm-hmm. Like that felt like a s- substantial change to me. And, I, and maybe it was also la- this time last year when we went out and saw the new, the massive, you know, new studio there. Um, but I'm curious if when he first brought up that idea to you of Squid Game in real life, if you yeah. thought that was a good idea, a good investment of money, like what was that conversation like? And how did, mm-hmm. how does, how has that changed the Mr. Beast we see today? Yeah. I mean, I, I always thought it was a great idea. I was worried about how expensive the idea was going to be. Cause I know that Jimmy in his mind was like, I need to build everything to a T to the scale that they had it, which he did. So I was like, okay, it's going to be not only <laughs> right. incredibly expensive, it's going to take a long time to build these yeah. sets. And so we were able to you know get that done in three to four weeks, but it did, it put him in another level. I think he finally like 
had another layer of breakthrough to, mm-hmm. a, to this like traditional world where now every time I talk to someone and a lot of people that probably wouldn't have known who he was are now like, oh, the guy that made Squid Game. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it feels like everyone watched that video. It's really interesting looking at the analytics of that video too. There's 3 million people in South Korea that viewed that video. So it's like we can see everyone around the world. It says 260 million views or something like that. So we can see everyone around the world that's viewed that video. And so I think it just, it kind of transcended like what he was currently doing, which was maybe 70 million views of video and put him into something that was like fully in pop culture and what was popular in the world, putting his spin on it. And it's just completely taking over for, I don't know, 46, 48 hours, like however long. I think it was like three days. It got up to 150 million views. Do you think that since then there's been a different amount of pressure that he's put on himself or that I think it's hard not to like every video now. I think you kind of view it as like, if squid game is the bar, yeah. Like what's the next video going to be right? Which, which is, is, is kind of hard in his position because you have to continually one up yourself. This is what becomes dangerous about YouTube is when you're, when you're in the game that Jimmy's in, you your, each video has to be better than the next. But when you make a video like squid game, that is just a masterpiece that next video that you put out has to be a masterpiece as well. And I think it's like one of the reasons you didn't see Jimmy post for three months is like, he was like, how do you, how do I follow this up? I gained mm-hmm. 10 million subscribers in 30 days. The video has 200 million views. Like what is the next video? And so I think it was like really hard for him to kind of like wrap his head around that with like, if this is the bar, then it's going to be really hard for us to yeah. continually take this up. Yeah. I think the thing I, I noticed um, in the beginning of this year with Jimmy is like, he was, uploading significantly less on the main channel, right? Mm. But at the same time, reacts and gaming are incredibly consistent. And I'm curious if that's a conversation that you guys have around like, or that he talks about of like having almost like, it feels like an engine. Uh, mm. Cause like, no matter what, there's a new Mr. Beast video. It's just not on yep. Mr. Beast. Uh, yep. And that was something that I started to look at and almost felt like, okay, this is like the engine and these videos are getting a unbelievable amount of viewership, right? Reacts is not a small channel. Mm. Uh, and there's still new Mr. Beast content, even if there's not a Mr. Beast video. Uh, do you see like that strategy potentially happening across other creators who are also trying to to level up in other ways? Yeah, I mean, that was kind of by design, right? If, if we're not gonna post 30, I can't even remember the amount of videos we posted in 2019, but I think it was in the 40s. Wow. And then man. it went down to like 31, then it went down, like it's, it's mm-hmm. continually went down year over year, but you need more touch points then. If you're only gonna post 12 videos a year, one a month, you need more touch points so people are continually seeing your face. Yeah. Or else, like YouTube's interesting if you're a kid, and I've, I've like weirdly had this conversation with like some of my like cousins who are really young, and I'm like, do you watch Jimmy? And in the past, they'd be like, yeah, but he doesn't upload enough. So I like watch this person and this person and this person. Now it's like we have a video that goes up every single week, if not every four days, because we have all these different channels now. Beast right. Philanthropy, Shorts, mm. uh, Gaming, and now Reacts. And so... It's, it was by design. I mean, I think it's also those videos also help fund the craziness that happens on the main channel. So it's a, it's a deeper source of revenue, but I'm now seeing a lot of creators replicate that model. A, yeah. a lot inside of night as well as like main channel, maybe they'll do like a gaming channel. But even then, like if we just look at Preston, Preston started as a Minecraft YouTuber. He transitioned that main channel to just IRL. Then he spun out his Minecraft channel called Preston Plays. He has a third channel called TBNR Frags, which does like COD and mm-hmm. all kinds of different games. And then his wife has a channel called Brianna. And then now they have a Reacts channel. So he ran that same playbook, but he actually did it way before Jimmy. 
So it's like Preston had TBNR frags, Preston plays in Preston in 2019 or 2020. So you did it way before him. It's just, Jimmy does everything on a different scale where it's like, it takes so many people to pull off what he mm. does. I and mean, just look at the gaming videos. They have to customly build every mm. single video. Yeah. It's like all these giant worlds in Minecraft that take weeks to build. That's the difficulty is like his, his idea of what is a video on the gaming channel is still very hard to pull off. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. What do you feel like right now is um, maybe the biggest opportunity that's missed uh, from creators or is there one that like you look at and you're like, wow, that's interesting. Almost every creator is missing this opportunity. Um, I don't man, missed opportunity. I just, I just want creators to realize that the opportunity is much bigger. I don't think there's a missed opportunity that creators are having. I just think a lot of creators are so focused on just making videos that they don't realize that they're growing these much bigger businesses and communities that they can actually grow media businesses. I think, and it, it takes teams like most creators just want to create videos. It takes other people within that company or managers or whoever to be like, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? Maybe we should look at doing this. I just like every single day I look at a creator who's maybe pulling like 5 million views of video that's just making videos and their community is Got so it. deep yeah. that I know that like they can either create their own beauty line or like sell something else. And some of it's probably just like, they don't want to do that. They don't want to be entrepreneurial. They just want to make videos. But I do like every single day, I see a lot of creators who just aren't taking advantage of what they currently have and the fan bases that they've built. Is there a, is there like a style of content though, that you think there's open space for? I remember you saying a couple of years yeah. ago, maybe that like golf you had thought was like an open space on YouTube. Still, still yeah. think golf is, I mean, no, there's, there's a few channels in yeah. golf. That good, are good golf is good, like, good is doing yeah. very well yeah. right now. And I watch their videos. I see their clips on TikTok. Um, there's some interesting niches that I pay a lot of attention to. I watch, this is weird, but I watch a lot of farm videos um, so millennial farmer is kind of like farm basically it's, it's day in the life of what do you do on a farm? And I'm from that world. So yeah. it's not as interesting to me, but I think for uh, most people, they're like, I'm farming. That's, it's interesting. Mm. I want to watch yeah. this guy combine yeah. and like what goes into this. Mm -hmm. Like, and so millennial farmer kind of dominates that space. You have like Cola corn star, Lauren farms. You have like all these different channels that I've paid a lot of yeah. attention to. And I'm seeing more farm channels pop up. I'm also seeing a lot of college kids that are athletes post channels. Mm -hmm. And so I'm seeing a lot of content now that NIL is wide open. They're actually posting YouTube videos. This is something Destroying tried to do and got kicked out of university yeah. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, of they course. were like, you can't make money right, off this right, channel. Right. Now we're seeing a ton of football players do like daily life access. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hey, here's my day as a college football player. Yeah. Here's my like mm -hmm. day as a gymnast like that. I'm seeing a lot of those pop up. That's why I love YouTube. Yeah. Every single year, there's a new content niche that we didn't think would exist uh -huh. that's now breaking through. Even like arts and crafts. Like, would we ever have sure. thought like someone could make arts and crafts videos like ZHC and pull 20 mm -hmm. million views of video? I really didn't two mm -hmm. and a half years ago. But like, we just continue to break that barrier of just different content niches. I find yeah. that uh, TikTok has changed the way we look at a lot of different careers. You'll be on TikTok and all of a sudden you're like watching someone who's a welder. Mm -hmm. You know, like I never thought I would watch yeah. this type of thing. And I, I wonder even with channels similar to the farming channel and a lot of young kids not going to college the same way they did maybe two, three years ago, is there going to be a resurgence of like almost trade school educational content? I feel like, oh, interesting. yeah, I feel like someone has an opportunity to like rebrand what it means to go to trade school. Hmm. Right. And maybe that's a bunch of different channels who yeah, do yeah. that. But I got caught in pool cleaning TikTok. 
Okay. Uh, which I, is I've like been in that. wildly yeah. satisfying. Yeah. It's like a really dirty pool. Car cleaning. Yeah. Someone yeah. just yeah. cleans the pool. But there's a barbecue YouTube is like massive. Oh yeah. I know. Yeah. We represent Guga. So okay, got yeah. it. we've been in that so, space for yeah. a while. Cause my uh, brother-in-law runs a, a restaurant in Austin called Bangers on, mm -hmm. on Rainy Street. And so like he's, he just sits and watches like barbecue YouTube on Saturday mornings with his kids. And it's just like different styles of smoking and different, and they have millions of views and they all sell their own like rubs and spices and like barbecue stuff. And I was like, I didn't even know this existed. Yeah. And it's like a huge industry. Yeah. The bearded butcher yes, sells the like bearded spice butcher. with Bob yeah. Lesnar. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, fishing is another one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Guggen Squad out of Dallas sells their own lures and fishing equipment. It's like big business down there. So it's, it, there's the amount of like weird niche pockets on YouTube that are doing incredibly well. I mean, ep Epic Gardening, it's like yeah. a mm -hmm. channel that's fully based on just gardening and mm -hmm. it, like, he has his own products and services. It's crazy. Yeah. Like that's, I mean, it, that's why the internet's such a wonderful place. You not only can build a business, you can like build a business from your basement. You can right. code a Minecraft server, make a Roblox game and launch it and just become a developer when yeah. you're 16 years old sure. instead of going to college until you're 22 and then trying to work at Riot Games. Right. You can just do that at 16 now. Yeah. And so I just see that continuing to happen in just like different niches. And I think mm -hmm. TikTok, like, I see so many interesting videos pop up on a daily basis on TikTok that I'm like, I didn't even know this job existed, yeah. Yeah. but like, I'm going to watch this 10 second video. Yeah. So we, we both worked in this world before it was called the creator economy and watched, I guess, over the last couple of years, you know, this thing have a name to it and, and have this industry develop, um, you know, with this potential economic downturn coming, like, do, do you feel like there, this will change? Like what, what happens to this world of the creator economy in the future? I mean, we've never been through a recession in the creator economy. Well, YouTube was launched in 2006, like mm -hmm. the collapse yeah. was in 2007. I, I'm again, I'm, I, I sent out a document yeah. like, um, I don't even know, two months ago, a month ago, that was basically like, what should creators know and how should they be preparing for an imminent recession? And so I, I think like the, the biggest takeaway for me as I started having a lot of conversations was most creators just don't understand their business. Yeah. They don't understand how much it takes to post a video. They don't understand how much they're paying people, like what their cost structure is, how much money they're making on a per month basis that's like first what needs to happen is like, if you're a creator, you really need to understand your business. The times have been Got great. It. Yeah. The last decade has been great for the creator community. It's been tons of people making money. Brand deals have been all over the place. AdSense has been high. I'm really worried for if that turns, what's going to happen to a lot of the creators. And so hopefully a lot of people have looked at that document and been like, okay, I need to take a step back myself and like really understand how I need to prepare for this. What's the, like the fundamentals of what every creator should know about their business? I think you should know, one, you should know how you make money. I think that's really important. Sure. Yeah. After you know how you make money, it's how much are you spending? Like what, what are you actually spending money on? I think even like looking around this place, <laughs> the amount of like equipment yeah. and like there's lights on, you're paying an electric bill, you're paying, yeah. obviously like we probably have internet in here. Yep. Like all the things that you don't think about that it's you're paying for. We got, we got people over <laughs> yeah, here. Yeah. We got someone taking a picture. Like right. <laughs> there's like, there's people everywhere. Right. So there's, there's costs. Like all yeah. I see is dollar signs. Right, like right, when right. I look around. Same. I don't, these yeah. aren't people. To mo mo but yeah. most like, <laughs> most creators like don't know. They have right. no idea. They're like, oh, I just pay an editor $20 to edit a video. I'm like, okay, like, do you pay for any software products? Right, like, do right. you pay for um, Adobe? Like, they like don't, mm -hmm. you don't think about these things. And so after you understand where you're making money from, it's understanding what those expenses are. And then it's understanding like, am I actually making money month over month or right. am I losing money? Yeah. Did I have a really good 
July that's funding the rest mm -hmm. of my year because I'm losing money for the next six months. Yeah. I don't think most creators understand even what they're burning on a per month basis. Yeah. Cause I think we end up developing recurring expenses, but n sometimes not recurring revenue because mm -hmm. it's like some months are better than others, you know, and you actually start to recognize like, wait, there's not a, there's not monthly recurring revenue in yeah. our business. Uh, and so to try to find like, how do you develop that? You can develop that through long-term you know, partnerships, you can sign a year long deal. You can, you know, like there are ways to develop it, but I do think that was one of the first lessons for us, hard lessons for us was like not even knowing the ins and outs of our business, like what's coming in and what's going out. Yeah. And same. Yeah. I, I learned the same lesson yeah. in 2016. Right. And it was like, thankfully my father was like, do you even know what you're spending money on? I'm like, <laughs> yeah. no. And he's like, okay, let's just like break write this it down. down. Yeah. yeah. Let's write, write down what you're spending money on. And I was spending money on a lot of software products, mm. just things that I thought like QuickBooks yeah. that yeah. I like were helping me run the business. We also like have had so many creators that when you start making more money per month, you start spending money on pretty ridiculous things. Like now you want a Lamborghini and like now you yeah. buy it at yeah. home gym. We bought and a car. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like yeah. you buy this office, like you start <laughs> yeah. spending right, 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 a lot right. of money yeah. and you're like, okay, now I'm making 20K a month, but I just spent 25K cause like I doubled my revenue. I doubled right. my expenses. Right. And so people just need to understand that. And so, you know, thankfully a lot of creators I think are now thinking about this. I've had a lot of them reach out to me and say like, hey, thanks for the advice. Somehow yeah. like I understand like I'm spending all this money and I didn't even realize it. And so that's what creators need to do to prepare, really yeah. understand where you're making money and then understand like where are some areas I could take advantage of to increase my revenue or just diversify. Sure. Yeah. I think it's like, it's that fixed overhead that's attached to your production that I think gets uh, scary for me when I think about creators, because things can change anytime, even your own personal interest can change about mm -hmm. what you want to make. Right. But if you connect a lot of overhead to your creativity, that creates a situation where it's like, you don't have a choice anymore you know, in the matter of, of your own creative. Mm -hmm. So I think that is, that's also a challenge and potentially something that's also adding to burnout. It's like, I don't have a choice. I have to make these videos because I've built a lifestyle around these expenses. Agreed. And then so, you get stuck in this trap where you're like, I hate playing Fortnite, but it's the reason why I make yeah, money. It's like, this is so I got to wake up and play Fortnite again today and <laughs> right. I can't stand this game. Right. right. So I've like, I, the amount of people that have gotten to that situation. Yeah. Um, and, and also like creator burnout then like you need help. Like most creators, like you said earlier, they're the creative director, the yeah. producer, the, like they do everything. It's like most creators also get burnt out because they are doing literally everything. They don't have someone helping them with creative there. Some of people are still editing their videos. Like, I mean, Jimmy edited his videos early on when I met him, like mm -hmm. he was still very involved, but it's really hard when you're, when you're the CEO, the CMO, the creative director, the producer, yeah. like that, that's hard to play all those roles. What do you think the economy is that opens up for like the job market of working with creators. What does that look like in the, in the coming years? Um, and what are the opportunities for people who aren't creators themselves, but want to work in this industry? Yeah. I mean, that's like where I think most of the opportunity is, is with all these creators, like, you know, that tweet that I sent out, we have 5,500 channels over a million followers, right? All those creators need help. They need thumbnail artists. They need editors. They need production staff. They just need people helping them grow these businesses. And unfortunately, there's no real place to go to find those job listings. I've seen a lot of them on your guys' newsletter. Yeah. Um, Jimmy's talked about that a few times. Is like, hey, I have open job positions. You know, we've sent out TikToks about that. I, I do think the creator economy will continue to hire. And also, like most creator businesses are really lean. 
it's like a creator in front of a camera making a lot of money because they're getting millions of views. They have money to spend on people. They just need help finding those people or they need a place mm -hmm. to go to find those people. And so the, the ones that we've really focused on is like you really need good editors and then you need good production and logistics staff, especially when you film yeah. IRL videos. You need someone that's like helping you fill a pool full of Orbeez and then helping you <laughs> clean up and like all these crazy things. That's that always our do. need. I know. Yeah, like there's, a, yeah. there's like a pool of you, you Orbeez over it. here. Yeah, you can't I don't know see who it, filled yeah, this yeah. up. But yes, yeah, so like that's, that's what creators need help with. It's right. just there needs to be a place for someone to be like, hey, what creators are hiring editors? There's also an editing shortage. I know it's crazy to say. But finding good editors right now is incredibly difficult. So I, I do think there's a lot of needs in the creator economy that just aren't being addressed because it's still so new. Yeah, I think it's new. And also, I think the the aspiration is to be a creator. So someone who's mm -hmm. like a really good editor might just be like, maybe I just want to be the creator. Yeah. Uh, and I think people have to go down that path and experience it. And then it'll like net out to be like, actually... I don't want to be the creator, but I like the creativity of this world and I want to be the editor. And mm. I, that's what I've seen a lot too. And I do think it's the training that's also the X factor, right? There are a lot of editors out there, but to every single creator has a different style. Yeah, there's no high school editing, yeah. at least not that I know of, high school yeah. editing courses, college editing courses. Like no one's really teaching this. You, you literally learn it on YouTube by being like, how do I use Adobe? Like that's right. how you learn how to edit. So it's the amount of the amount of YouTubers that I've spoken with. And I'm like, how did you learn how to edit? And they're like self-taught. It's yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so it's like someone yeah, needs to teach those skills. For sure. Um, I have one more uh, Mr. Beast video related question. Uh, I, I watched recently the I didn't eat for 30 yeah. days video. And it was actually my favorite video Jimmy's ever made. Uh, ever made? Ever made. Don't tell him that. I will Jeez. not. I'm sure he won't. I, the reason why is because I think it, it was the first time I saw Jimmy's character development play out in a YouTube video mm -hmm. where you like, he was the focus. Uh, it was almost like a vlog, which, which felt so different from when he's the host and other people are doing things that are challenging. Uh, and I know he's obviously done it and, you know, buried alive and whatnot, but like there was something so relatable about not eating. Like, I don't know what it's like to be buried alive. I can't connect with his discomfort there to a certain level, right? I'm just like, that yeah, looks we terrifying. Still, we still have the coffin if you want to try yeah, it. No, I don't want to try that. That sounds <laughs> unbelievably terrifying. Just try it out. Next time like, go. Not just eating. Just an hour. <laughs> yeah. Do I, don't, just do I, don't hour. Think, I don't think I can do 15 minutes. Okay, well, well, let's not do it then. Okay, let's do 10 minutes. Let's do 10. It's a lot of work to yeah. put the dirt on top <laughs> yeah. of that. It's 10 feet underground for 15 minutes. Did you not, like, what did you think about? I'm I just didn't even want to be on set. It made me incredibly nervous. The Buried I, Alive. Yeah, yeah, Got yeah, it, yeah, got yeah, it, got it, got it. Yeah. That, that to me, like, he, he filmed a video early on where he tried to spend 12 hours underwater. You guys probably yeah, saw this video. That. Yeah, yeah, that's an insane video, yeah. I, I won't even yeah. get into that, but like that, that to me was the reason why I didn't want to be on. And I knew Buried Alive was much safer because of yeah. the protocols we took to film that video. But yeah, the underwater video made me so upset that like, Gave me a little bit of PTSD for Barry Live, but the the non-eating video, and he he had a good story around it too. Like he kept saying this to me, like he was meeting some of these people that had Crohn's, yeah. and they they were doing these extended fasts, and it was really helping with their Crohn's. And so he's like, I want to test this theory. Do you think I should film it? Uh, he ended up filming it. I think it turned into a really interesting video, and people do like watching Jimmy. I think for yeah. the most part, early on in his career. 
he was the director of his videos. You probably noticed yeah. this, like Jimmy went through the evolution of like counting to a hundred thousand to like kind of being like the games master mm -hmm. of the videos. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then it kind of came back around, like him and I kind of realized like you need to be the center of attention for your videos. And so he started doing the, like spent, like I spent 24 hours in the coldest place in the world. And like, we, we noticed that people really liked watching him either suffer or watching <laughs> him be the main focal point of the video. Yeah. And so I think that video did both. Like you got to watch Jimmy really struck, like struggle through something, which yeah. was not eating, but he also was the main storytelling line. You so, also oh. got to see behind the scenes of his life, which was unique. Oh I traveled the whole time. We were, like, yeah, it, we went to New York for Brandcast. Yeah. He had to go up with Mark Rober and give a speech. Yeah. This yeah. was like ten days into fasting. That he was, was sleeping on the floor. Yeah, like he slept on the floor in his green room because he was so tired. And so it's like I got to kind of. That's be a why part I thought that was one of the most unique videos. And again, for yeah. me, like my, maybe it's not as all of his fans' favorite video, but for me personally, I was like, I don't. I actually like I talked to Jimmy, but I don't know what his life looks like that often, right? Yeah. And you got to see him do a video like through his life. That yeah. was really interesting to me. Agreed. Yeah. I, I, if he had a camera with him at all times, like his life is fascinating. The amount of pe the, just the interesting people he meets and the places he goes and the videos he's filming and all yeah. the other projects he's working on. It's kind of why I started to film like the day in my life. Mm -hmm. And I know I did like the day in my life managing Mr. Beast. It's like fly in quick meeting. He's right. got to go to a, a photo shoot. Then we have another meeting. He's got to film a video. Like it's just constant stuff's going on. And it's, it's really hard I think for him, because it's like 12 hours a day, his day is like just regimented. He's like got something going on. So that, it was probably the first time someone got a peek into the craziness of that lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Were there any other videos that you were unsure of uh, with him? Or oh man, there's a ton. Uh, where do I start? It's yeah. probably like a good sign. Yeah, it's a good sure. sign. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, unsure, skeptical. Uh, this isn't safe. We probably shouldn't be filming it. There was also a few videos like... <laughs> They thought that they could scale a wall with plungers early on, and they <laughs> built this giant plexiglass wall. I was like, this is the stupidest thing I've yeah. ever seen. The video never got posted. Right. There was one video. This oh Man, this video is such a banger, too. They traveled to the like all seven wonders of the world. So they oh. basically had a, they like drew straws, and it was like, or something. And, and it's like, I got pyramids of Giza and Stonehenge, mm -hmm. and like everyone got a different location, and they all left at the same time and went to the seven wonders of the world. It never got posted because they could never figure out what the thumbnail was for this video. Wow. I, I kid you not. Everything filmed. Jimmy lost his camera in Rome, which was problem number one, and then no thumbnail got taken. And so it's like video never got posted. So there's a lot of those stories where... There's just videos in the graveyard and there's tons of videos in the graveyard. Does that ever frustrate you as a manager or yeah, do you, do you just course. understand it? You, yeah, because we, we've had yeah. brand deals on right. a lot of these videos yeah, right. and then I have to call X brand who is like, I love that video concept and be like, yeah, it's not happening. Jimmy mean, it doesn't know what a th the thumbnail is for this video. Right. And for or, a brand, that's like, what are you talking like, what are you about? They, yeah. have, they do not understand it. Yeah. They're like, wait, so J Jimmy doesn't like the edit, but you re-edited it and you still didn't post it and you're not going to post it. I'm like, yeah. I, he doesn't like it. It's getting thrown in the garbage. But they're like, but you spent X amount of money on this video. I'm like, that's, that's irrelevant. It irrelevant. doesn't matter. Yeah. It's like, yeah. he doesn't think the video is a good video. Thus, it's not getting posted. So there's a lot, there's a lot of, I mean, he sends out the, I think he does videos now every year. Where he's like, these videos didn't get didn't posted. Get posted yeah. uh, there's still a lot of videos that are in the graveyard that haven't made that cut. He like built a city out of bouncy castles. Such a stupid video. Uh, never <laughs> got posted. <laughs> Do you think there's like, do you think there's dangers? We've talked about this with actually a few different creators, but do, I'm curious your perspective on 
the impact or dangers of uh, younger creators try, striving to be like Jimmy? Yeah. It's just going to be really hard for someone to catch up to where he's currently at because he's spending so much money and the ideas have gotten so crazy and his team's gotten so big. Like it's a massive yeah. infrastructure. Someone's going to do it. It'd be dumb for us to say someone's not sure. going to yeah. like do that blueprint and pull it off. But I do see a lot of creators who are making Mr. B style videos, but they just can't get up to that caliber because they're not able to spend a million dollars on yeah. a video. But I, I do appreciate that people are striving to make better videos. Like we're seeing it all over YouTube. I think what's interesting is a lot of people have realized they can't come up to Jimmy's bar. So they've been like, I'm just going to be way more creative. Mm. And I think Ryan Trahan's a great example of like, he doesn't want to make videos at that scale, but he's just really focused on like, what's the most creative things that I can do that people want to watch. And he's had so much success doing that. I think like Eric's another good example, mm -hmm. like just creatively, his videos are really good. And he's, he doesn't have to spend a million dollars a video to pull some of these off. Like he's just, is thinking a lot about like, is this a good concept? Are people going to click? Let's go execute it. And so YouTube is in a bit of a weird spot right now. I don't think there's a lot of creativity, but I do think that there's a handful of creators that I look at every single day and I'm like, wow, like that is an amazing video and idea that like, I can't believe they executed. When you're looking at creators to bring on, what are the characteristics that they need to have? Cause I'm sure yeah. you see a lot of creators with great videos. But yeah, all day. Okay, but who you have like a top secret checklist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. think I'll okay. ever. Yeah, he's that. got a top secret Maybe checklist. Maybe when I man. like retire, I will tell people what it is. But yeah, I haven't really publicly spoken about it. I think it's one of the secret sauces of our mm -hmm. company. When you look at our roster top to bottom, we have a lot of creators who have like hockey stick growth and they're killing it. And, you know, I came up with these five things four years ago of like, what is a night creator? And I spent a lot of time actually with Ezra on a whiteboard of like, if we're going to go forward as a digital talent management company, we need to understand what this person looks like. What is the makeup of this person? And so there's a lot of effort put into that and we don't deviate from it. Mm. It's like, if they don't check every single mm. like thing that we need them to check, they're not a night media creator and that's fine. They're just not for us. Uh, and so I don't know if I'll ever release that, but we'll <laughs> right. see. I, I mean, like that. Maybe, I think it has a future. Yeah. It's got good allure around it. It's like, good. yeah, yeah. I like that. And I like, yeah, we, from top to bottom, like I think people can look at our roster. It's like well diversified. We're in almost every single content niche now from like, you know, food with Guga and Matt Stoney all the way to, to life and beauty with Sophia Nygaard. Like we're, we're mm -hmm. on every spectrum. And a lot of those people are the number one, number two or number three channel in their specific content niche. And so there's just like certain characteristics that I look for and certain things that we identify and we're like, okay, this person's perfect. When you look back at, at this journey up to this point, like when you look at the success you've had, is it like, what does it feel like? The journey from starting it to here yeah. feels like we haven't even got started. I mean, my vision for this company is so much bigger than what it currently is. Uh, and and the, the, the business plan and the vision that we put in place four years ago is just like, we have a long ways to go. Like, I honestly like want to, I, I think there's going to be a fundamental shift in how representation works and the type of talent and just how everything is becoming direct to consumer. And so we have our philosophies around how that's going to change and like how the agencies are going to have to adapt. And so we, th we think, and this is the interesting thing with us is like, we think over like decades, like we're making long-term decisions. I think most people are like in the day-to-day -day of management and they're like, we eventually just want to sell this business. No, I want to compete with WME and CA and UTA. Like 
And it's going to take decades. And so a lot mm. of the decisions we make are like with that outlook of like, this is going to take a long time, but I've taken a lot of inspiration from people like Ari Emanuel and like what they've built over decades of, of talent representation and building media companies. And like, that's what we're striving for. It's not necessarily just like, let's just manage creators. Like there's a much bigger vision that we put in place. And yeah, I feel like we're in inning two, maybe inning one of that vision. And it's going to take us a lot longer to get there. When you saying Ari Emanuel made me think about, like there's a lot of stories about, uh, a, like Hollywood agents and talent reps that of like really strange or just out of the box things that they did for their t like talent. Mm -hmm. I'm just curious if you have any of those. Yeah. I get this question all the time. Yeah. Like what are the weirdest phone yeah. calls mm -hmm. you've got? Oh man. Uh, without like getting people upset, I sure. just don't know how to answer this question. Okay. Um, the, the, like one that I always say is, I mean, it's hard to pick up the phone and for someone to say, I want to plant 20 million trees. And like, yeah, I don't yeah. even know where like you right, start. Right. I'm like, right. I, what, what? Like, I, so I've, I've had a lot of those discussions, not even with Jimmy. I've had it from other creators where they call me with the most outlandish things or ideas, but that's what excites me is like mm. a lot of our creators, almost all of them are very innovative. They're like thinking outside the box. They'll come to us with an interesting idea. We'll either completely shoot it down or we'll be like, okay, that's actually interesting. Let us go do a month of like research and figure out if there's actually right. something here. And so like, I, I welcome all those phone calls, but there have been like a few very uh, interesting phone calls from specific people. I won't say um, that things are just currently not possible in the world, uh, but might be in a few years and that'll make for great YouTube videos. But Got right it. now we just can't pull those off. Space. Yeah. yeah, space is, uh, space is, space is a very interesting yeah. conversation when that we've had for a while. Yeah, when space travel is more like reasonable, it's going to be all over YouTube. I think so too. Yeah, I think the first person YouTube. that films the video I went to space yeah. is going to be the biggest banger. Of the yeah. year, so. <laughs> yeah. If they truly went to space, yeah. not like I mean, there is a video like that on YouTube, the and it's Red really Bull interesting. Out, yeah, but like yeah. a Red Bull jumping out, like a more like yeah, yeah. I guess the Richard Branson did go to space, but I'm saying like with a camera, yeah, like filming the whole process of like astronaut training, getting yeah. in a rocket yeah, for sure that that video is going to be done and it'll probably be replicated multiple times yeah. or someone's just going to do the knockout version of it. Like, you know, and not actually go to space, but use right, the right. title and thumbnail. So we'll see. But when someone films that video, like I will instantly click and it'll get a hundred plus million views. Yeah. That's a great place to, to, to stop. <laughs> well, thanks guys. Thanks, yeah, for, coming. Yeah. Yeah. Thank thanks you guys. for coming over, man. Right.